Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 81, Jason Alley. Jason Alley is most widely known as uh, owner, proprietor, chef, comfort, and pastor. Pastor being, no, wait, comfort, as uh, is covered in this podcast, being kind of like the uh, the CBGBs of the downtown Richmond restaurant scene. Really the first one to get in there and make a go of it and lead the way for uh, all the other folks to do business down there and all the other scared honkies to come from the West End and South Side to eat dinner downtown. And uh, it's a good thing for everybody. Um, I recorded this oh, like I don't even remember how long ago, possibly two months ago, and um, I had a hard time getting around to posting it because I wanted to go against my um, my uh, principles or my plan for this podcast and edit parts of it out because I had we got to talking about Restaurant Depot and I started shilling for my place of work. But you know what? Fuck it. You know, I think one of the things that <laughs> that that uh, demonstrates is how well uh, and gracefully. Jason listened to me sell Restaurant Depot in the middle of this podcast, so it shows what a great guy he is. Um, I just, also, it's very long, and I, you know, the problem with the long, the two-hour podcast is I have to mix them down to such a bit rate that they have that kind of underwater sound when I upload them, and so I, then I start thinking I want to split it in half. So basically, I got all tangled up in my undershorts about posting this podcast, but I'm just going to go ahead and post it. It is what it is. It is all... Everything that we talked about from the moment I turned on the mice to when I turned them off. And I had a really great time. I've always, I always loved talking to Jason. He's an awesome dude. And, uh, you know, I, I did listen to like the first five, ten minutes of this and realized that when we recorded this, Kenny Wagner, um, who uh, has now passed, was just in ICU at the time. And he left us uh, a few days ago. He was living down in Austin, Texas. And for those of you who don't know, t- Kenny was a. Um, drummer and he played in local bands like Four Walls Falling and Yard Monster and then he moved to Austin, Texas and played like in 60 other bands. He was a really great dude, really funny guy, really always, you know, quick with a joke and smile and I loved him to death and I always wanted to go down and visit him in Austin and I didn't get the chance and I even was like going to go down and visit him while he was in the hospital and I still didn't, I didn't manage it before he died, but uh, rest in rest in peace, rest in power, brother Kenny Wagner. Um, we love you. And um, you know, since also since this podcast is before this podcast was recorded, Prince died a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, the stuff Prince is right up there with David Bowie as far as like representing for the freaks and you know doing what he's going to do and being who he's going to be and, and showing people that you can totally do that stuff and still be a resounding success. And um, maybe you have to be a genius, but maybe that's where genius comes from is doing what you feel and uh, believing in yourself and uh, not letting anybody tell you that ain't right. You can't do that. Um, just do your thing. Um I loved I loved Prince, but I I mean I really haven't listened to an album of his since Love Sexy probably, which is one of my favorites. And I, every now and then I'd be I'd check in with him and be like glad that he uh, 
playing guitar or doing more guitar based stuff because I loved him as a guitar player and just one of the most interesting guitar players I've ever heard and uh, I've been recently going back and listening to Purple Rain and Sign of the Times and those records and really digging on them and, and just being kind of astounded and inspired again by his guitar playing. It's kind of fucked up that, that uh, you know somebody just can fade from my notice and I won't give them any thought until they die. And it's one of the great paradoxes of, of life is you know you don't miss it till it's gone but luckily we got all these recordings fuck I even got a uh, trial membership to title because it's the only way I can listen to his stuff the only recordings of his that I own is Love Sexy and that's on my hard drive I don't have any of his records or anything I hardly have anybody's records anymore but I did just recently after doing that uh, sort of a review with John Brown of that Iggy Pop record I started listening to it more, fell totally in love with it, went to see him in Philadelphia, which was an awesome show. They did Lust for Life, they did The Idiot, they did that whole record, and it was really great, and fuck the haters, um, and fuck me for even hating on it a little bit in the beginning. I don't give a shit how old he is, that the age that he's got behind what he's doing informs it, and there's a bittersweet thing behind the the still um, totally strong Iggy Popness of it all. I really enjoyed it. <clears throat> and, I, you know, it, that's another thing, too, I've been contemplating since I posted that last podcast with John Brown. And then I've recently had a conversation with a professional musician that lives here in town. And, you know, he's getting to the age where, like, he doesn't want to be touring and, and working like that. And he's wondering how he's going to make a living, you know, like where a lot of musicians just be able to retire off their recorded music. You know, my attitude has kind of been for a long time, just, you know, keep working. Um and maybe that's not very nice of me. I think I was just feeling a little uh, bitter because I had had to work a hardcore blue-collar job for about four years, and I didn't have much sympathy for um, artists. I was getting real, um, <clears throat> I guess, uh, communist in my thinking or something. And it's, I mean, I, I, I'd like to admit that I'm wrong. I mean, I was swinging a little too far in that direction, and... If somebody's going to make money off an of artist's music, the artist ought to be making money off their music, and that's the bottom line. Uh, the other thing I said sort of at the beginning of that John Brown podcast about music, no, there is, there are musicians that are geniuses, and they are really head and shoulders above all other musicians, and that is special. But there's also the idea that not being a genius and not being great should stop you from playing, and I, I just really want to encourage people within the sound of my voice to play an instrument and not worry about you know ever being as good as your heroes um it's still a great way to communicate it's still an important way i think everyone should have access to and everyone should give a try and i and this of course comes from a personal block that i had for many many years as a young person i started off i played cello early and then i quit for playing music until i was 23 and a lot of what held me back was thinking, well, if I hadn't, you know, why play the guitar now? I didn't start when I was, you know, 10. So there's no point. It's like, he's too old. He cannot be taught. But instead, I actually, I found friends when I moved to New York that encouraged me. And I started playing drums. I started playing guitar. I started playing in bands. And, and you know, even though I don't do it a whole hell of a lot now, it was an important became an important part of my life that I came to late and I held I didn't get into it when I could have because I was held back by the idea that if you're not going to be great there's no point in doing it 
And what I really meant to say in the beginning of that last podcast is not that I don't value the people who are professional musicians and really do bring something very unique and special to the form. It's that, you know, you don't have to be one of them to play music. That's what I'm trying to say. So, um, you know, what? that's what this podcast is. It's my fucking perspective on shit. And then my perspective bounced off of other people when they come by here. But, um, you know, I say shit off the top of my head. I don't think it through and sometimes I'm wrong and or I say it wrong. And, hey, I, I am the first to admit this. I don't have a problem with being wrong. And um, and I don't mind that uh, that, you know, whatever. I step into shit sometimes. I mean, that's just part of life. And part of why I do this podcast the way I do is to show it's not that big a deal to be wrong and to be wrong in front of a whole lot of people. And don't let that hold you back either, you know. Um, I imagine there are people out there like me who don't do things because they're afraid of fucking up and they're afraid of losing face and they're afraid of not doing it well. And part of this podcast is an example to you can just figure it out as you go along. You can post shit that doesn't sound right, you know, until you learn how to EQ stuff, get the right equipment, and it's still going to be okay and it's still going to be good and you can just keep on doing it. And uh, that's what I've been doing. When I do it, that is, um, which is sporadic, because I'm busy and I also just get, I just get uh, inactive, I get idle, and uh, I got to break out of that. And I was inspired by a long conversation with a creative friend of mine who sees one form that he is doing become something he's not as able to do as he's getting older, and he's branching out and he's doing lots of other things. And you know, he said to me, just just do this because you love it, man. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks. And I know that. You know, but I needed to hear it from him, so hope to be doing more of these going forward. Got some stuff lined up. And after, now that we're done with all of that explanation and exposition, let's get into my man Jason out. Podcast. We just roll in yeah. and start talking. Yeah, that's all perfect. Right? And you can have headphones if you want. Like, <sighs> it's kind of cool because you can hear can hear me and I can hear you if in case I missed something because I was daydreaming mm. it gets into my head a little better <laughs> I can get too far into your coffee mm. um but so I speaking of coffee I just dumped it yeah, over my keyboard there you go perfect um I was like I just want to set my drums up there mm-hmm. Alan doesn't play that much anymore you know I mean sometimes those are Alan's them. drums that are yeah. in there uh-huh. he's super generous about letting let me use them I'm like you know, if he's not using them, let's set up mine. He can use mine whenever he wants, and then mm-hmm. I'll just trade you dinners at the restaurants. Mm-hmm. It was like, mm, okay. <laughs> like, you know, because I'm not going to be, you know, we practice three times before we play a show. Yeah. Maybe four. We play four shows a year. Yeah, yeah. So. And so that was the thing is I was like, well, dude, why don't you get, I mean, it's $250 that, there's $100 extra you're paying for me right now. Why don't you just ask those other dudes that are using the space to kick in twenty five bucks? Right. A month. A month. <laughs> right. I know. <laughs> and I know it's frustrating for him. He's like, you know, should be grown people in here. Like, right. it shouldn't be that big a deal. But I know, just, I sort of felt guys. like I was being taken advantage of. But like, as it was pointed out, I mean, there's a nice drum kit in there. Yeah. There's a nice PA. Um, James didn't care if I used his stuff. Yeah. You know, he told me I could use the bass amp, all that. It was. I really just wasn't using it. If I had a band and shit was happening. Right. You know. But nobody wants to play with me, Jason. <laughs> I'll play with you. <laughs> that would be awesome, actually. I'd love to sometime. I don't have a whole lot of time. That's why I pretty much stopped doing all original band stuff because, you know, time is just so precious. What original band stuff were you? I mean, I know that you've had some kind of a musical. Yeah, pretty much my whole life. Um, I played music with Ward Harrison. Mm-hmm. We started playing together when I was 18. 
um, and still play together in Los Ramones. So we played together. Were you in Van Houston? I wasn't. Oh. He and I had a band together called Pie Boy in the ah, 90s. Yeah. yeah. Um, Not so to be come confused down here with the Pie Tasters. Or Pie Bald or any other <laughs> pie bands. Um, so we used to come down and play a lot. We played with like the King Sour guys mm-hmm. and... Um, Yard Monster and oh, man. some of those acts. Yeah. Yard and we were Monster. so not like, I mean, we were just like drunk replacements, mm-hmm. kind of rock and roll. Um, so it was an interesting fit with those guys. But it was always fun, you know? Yeah. Back when Richmond was super stabby. Yeah. <laughs> Yard Monster, by the way, two things about that. That's one of my favorite bands that's ever come out of this town. Really great. fucking incredible. Yeah. Played at my house on Parkwood Avenue and twice, actually. I had two different parties that they played at. And one of them, they were so loud, I couldn't hear them. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like white noise, you know, like after Absolutely. the bomb goes off next to your head. Yep. And uh, Kenny right now is in ICU in Texas, and nobody is saying why. He's he's just like, there's all this shit on Facebook that he's in. Really? Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, I guess I don't know when people are going to hear this, but like, you know, healing blue light to yes, Kenny. I absolutely. don't know what's going on, but he's an awesome guy. Yeah, yeah, he is. It was always fun seeing Chris Crane, who's like the nicest dude in the world, just yeah. freaking out. Yeah. And, you know, it's just like a completely Channeling different dude. His inner David Yao. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's awesome. So uh, after Pie Boy? Uh... Uh, after after Pie Boy, moved to Illinois for a few years, mm-hmm. Mercedes, um, when she was in graduate school. Didn't play out there at all. Then we moved to Atlanta, and I played in a garage rock outfit, like Dutch beat British garage rock mm-hmm. band called the King's English. It's a good name. It's a great name. It was a mm-hmm. shitty band. Um, <laughs> love Sometimes the guys. The shittiest bands are the best. Names oh my god! Vice man. versa. Well, we uh, our bass player moved to actually moved to Chattanooga, I think. And they're like, man, we gotta find a new bass player. I'm like, yeah, we could do that, or we could just not <laughs> play anymore. <laughs> so that was, I mean, it was fun. But um, then I played in a country band there, mm-hmm. um, kind of alt country, you know, pensive Ryan Adamsy mm-hmm. type shit. Mm-hmm. Um, which is super fun. And then moved back here and Ward and I had a band called Spitz USA for a while. Mm. And then that was the last original music I played. I had an eighties cover band for a bit, which was awesome money and super fun guys. Um, but everybody got busy. So what we just your, do list for money. So. What is your main instrument? Just drums. It's drums. Drums oh, and right sing. On. Yeah. We should yeah. jam together. Yeah. Sometime. I mean, I have this kit, you know, set it up in here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got my big ass Tama kit, like 24 inch kick drum huge drums why doesn't anybody i mean when i lived in new york there were these spaces you could go to that were equipped kind of like that space like james's space yeah. and you just paid like 35 bucks an hour or yeah, yeah something yeah. like that and you just you had to bring your instrument but everything else was in there and you yeah just, just backlined almost yeah. like playing a show up there it's exactly yep. nobody's doing that here and it would be really awesome like it would be awesome i don't i think that just because there's so many spaces like so many people here still have basements right. or they have a room in the house or yeah. you know you yeah. can get a smaller room over in source spaces for like 250, mm-hmm. you know, and if you're doing that with two bands, it's super easy. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know the demand is there. When I was in Atlanta, we had a practice space. Um, I actually practiced in a church for a while with mm-hmm. a country band, which was super weird drinking beer in the basement of a church and mm-hmm. <laughs> playing Waylon Jennings covers. Um, but we had a space that was a rental space too. And it was mm-hmm. tiny. It was like a third of the space that James has. Mm-hmm. And that was, we shared that with the Woggles. I don't know if you remember those guys. I remember that name, yeah. Garage Rock Outfit uh-huh. from Athens and Atlanta. And that was like 300 bucks 15 years ago. But it was super soundproof. And I mean, it was it was fine, but nothing down like, like that down there. That's one of the reasons I like playing in New York. I've only done it a couple of times, but yeah, you bring cymbals, snare, and kick pedal. Yep, it's that's, all there. That's it. Mm-hmm. Was- I had it. We had a space in the 90s in um, a warehouse in Dumbo 
that this dude was running the whole space for um, he was basically going around and finding awesome American vintage gear and and shipping it to Japan. Wow, he was making a shitload of money doing yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You know, like find a good pair of sneaks and yeah, sure. You know, and um, and he had this huge space that was like, I mean, it was big enough to operate a uh, an actual warehouse out of. And he had subdivided it and stuff. He charged us thirty bucks a month to be in there and Dumbo, Holy you know, shit. yeah. And, and <laughs> my friend was telling me the other day, you couldn't afford a bottle of water in that building now. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. I was talking with a chef friend of mine. He was looking at some spaces in, uh, in the East village, you know, which mm-hmm. not long ago was mm-hmm. real fucking gnarly. Um, kind of awesome. They wanted, I think $35,000 a month for a wow. 900 square foot space. Is there still, have you been there lately? There used to be this space on Avenue B called, Sukasa or Tukasa, and it was a it was a studio, but it was also you could go and pay him hourly to practice in there. Whenever like Henry really? Rollins came to town, you'd see him walking around the neighborhood because that's where he kind of warmed up. And, I don't remember that that place at all. I w- I can't imagine that they would still be there. I mean, real estate prices there are just yeah. ridiculous, it's insane. You can't even afford Brooklyn anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, where did you grow up? Exactly. Grew up in southwestern Virginia. Yeah. Grew up in Pulaski County, so like. 45 minutes from Blacksburg, mm-hmm. hour from Roanoke, down in the mountains. Lived there pretty much my whole life. Moved twice when I was a kid for like a year each time. Mm-hmm. Once to Daytona and once to Delaware. Neither mm-hmm. one awesome experiences, but mm-hmm. um, grew up there pretty poor. You know, like everybody was. Everybody was poor shit down there. And then went to JMU um, and failed out promptly. So <laughs> stayed there till like 96. So I spent most of my formative years in the mountains in the western part of the state. Mm-hmm. So used to come down here a lot when we were looking to move back to Virginia. My wife does theater work. She's a set designer, scenic artist. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty much Northern Virginia or Richmond. Mm-hmm. So that was not even a question. So you kind of followed her here? Is that? No, we, um, so I followed her to, um, to Illinois when she went for a graduate degree. Mm-hmm. And then she pretty much followed me to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, we knew we wanted to be in a major market, but didn't know that New York was quite the thing to do in right. Chicago. And we had some people in Atlanta. So that was awesome. And then when it got to the point where we'd been married about five years, we're like, mm-hmm. eh, probably should think about kids and we mm-hmm. didn't want to be 10 hours away from family when we did that. So we moved back here and Richmond's been great to me. <clears throat> and when you knew you wanted to be in a major market, was that for your career? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it also was good for her. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, small markets are really bad for theater. Uh, well, shit, any market's bad for theater. There's no money in it. Um, but yeah, for me, because so I had, I had my first chef job when I was 21, yeah. 22. And so my whole, like, instead of culinary school, I just took lower positions in better mm-hmm. restaurants. And so mm-hmm. that's what I did in Atlanta. I took a couple of sous chef jobs. I took a couple of line cook jobs, mm-hmm. just at really great places so I could just learn as much as I possibly could. And what, how, so when you were 21, you had decided that that's what you wanted to do? And, or yeah. was it like it is for a lot of people? It wasn't like it is for a lot of people where it's just like, this is the job that will work with my drinking schedule. And You know, it yeah. started off as that. Yeah. You know, I started off washing dishes at a country club. I mean, my first job, I was 10, yeah. um, bussing tables at a crab shack in Rehoboth, Delaware which was interesting. Um, and then fast food through high school, just because that's what there was in Pulaski. There just wasn't, you know, there still aren't right. jobs. So I went to college. I'm like, fuck this. I'm not doing restaurant stuff. This is mm-hmm. ridiculous. And then I failed out. And like, I mean, immediately. Mm-hmm. So I started washing dishes at a country club and I just got the bug, you know? So I would go in, I'd bust out all the dishes, peel a 50 pound bag of potatoes, carrots, onions. Mm-hmm. And if I was caught up, then the chef would let me just hang out and watch. Mm-hmm. So I just lean on the line and watch what they were doing. And I just, I don't know. I'd never seen anything like it. Just it just bit the bug, just bit you. It bit me hard. Yeah, yeah. I've never done anything else. 
That's awesome. And, and did you, I mean, did you set out with it like you do with as with rock and roll where you're like, you got some idols and you got, you know, some people that you want to emulate a little? Not, in, <laughs> not initially. Because yeah. um, growing up where I did, like, we didn't have any restaurants. We had one right. place called the Steer House, which still exists, and it's fucking terrible. Mm-hmm. Now there's a couple of restaurants, but like that whole idea of being a chef and a professional chef, that didn't exist in my mind. You right. know, there was no food TV. There was Julia Child. Mm-hmm. That was about it for food right, TV. Right. Um, so that it just wasn't on my radar. Once I got bit, then it was like reading food arts every single month and getting mm-hmm. as many cookbooks as I could. And um, started really looking at guys like Frank Stitt in mm-hmm. Birmingham, who was making and still is making some of the most amazing food in the country. And it's very Southern. It's mm-hmm. super local. It's very Southern influenced, but it's beautiful, delicate, well-made food. And so I started looking at to those guys as sort of, you know, guys that I would want to emulate. You know, mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to do really nice. When I was a kid, I wanted to do like the fanciest shit ever. Everybody mm-hmm. does. Right. Right. You know, it's like rock and roll. You want to right. be like the most avant or right. the most you punk want to play rock like Steve or, Vai or, or Yngwie Malmsteen. Right. Or, or you want to, or you want to be David Yao or mm-hmm. whatever it is that you idolize. Like that's it. That's yeah. all your focus is. So that shifted as I got a little bit older in the business and realized that you can make really, really great food for everybody. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be this sort of elitist, you know, experience yeah and you know that really par- parallels rock and roll for me because i um i always use this thing when i'm talking to people about like when i would try to get people to play with my band the devil tones or mm-hmm. when i would describe what we do and i'm like look you don't have to be able to make a souffle to make an awesome grilled cheese sandwich correct you know correct and like grilled cheese sandwiches are fucking awesome they're, they're delicious awesome. you yeah. know and they they hit you they hit you where food should hit you which is like this sort of like nostalgic sort of comforting thing it's familiar you know mm-hmm. and that's that's what we really try and do at both restaurants and in different ways, you know, mm-hmm. comfort's so like right down the pike, right. You know, American Southern shit, you know, mm-hmm. it's super recognizable. Pasture's a little bit funnier, you know, mm-hmm. we're a little bit more creative, but we always want it to be something that, you know, that you recognize that makes you feel good mm-hmm. when you eat it as opposed to being just challenged. Right. And there's right. a place for that. I'm just not the guy to do it. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is a, that is a, a, a tough, um, line to walk and I mean and it's a tough line to walk as a customer you know I mean I've I've been places and I I really appreciated the flavor that I was eating with the presentation I I, I just felt like hey this guy's balls are in my plate you know like, yeah <laughs> you know yeah oh no absolutely so, I mean th- so much of that that chef stuff and, and it's funny like I feel like you see you know like this the swinging dick you know macho mm-hmm. chefs and you see it the most with like tweezers and flowers and stuff like mm-hmm. I'm gonna make the prettiest most soigne shit in the world because right. i'm a badass so soigne is a real word like because i saw that yeah. lady's um fake instagram account right when she came out uh jacques lemaire yeah yeah she's awesome by the yeah. way she's a really cool person i couldn't see the i couldn't tell what the tone was there if it was complete mockery or if it was like this um foolish you know enthusiasm that was real but it was like just kind of taking out the pretension or it's, it's both yeah I mean, that's the thing about her. She's got a great sense of humor, and she's a hell of a cook. I mean, she's mm-hmm. really, really talented, super nice and funny. But you, it's one of those things where it, it comes off as complete mockery, but if yeah. you don't have a real genuine affection and talent for that stuff, you can right. never pull it off. Right. And that's where that best sort of like sarcasm and mockery comes into play. Yeah. You have to kind of like it, or you can't do it right. Yeah. Comedy, I, anything like that. That's right, right. You have to love it in order to make fun of it. To right. Some I mean, like, Los Ramones is a, just a big ball of dumbass, right? Mm-hmm. Completely ridiculous. But if we didn't have genuine affection for like Mexican restaurant culture mm-hmm. and Mexican music and Ramones, then it, mm-hmm. it, it wouldn't be funny. Right. You know? And is it 
is it strictly funny or do people enjoy it? Like, I've never seen you guys. <laughs> Shame on you. Yet. I know. Cinco de Mayo is coming up soon enough. I'm yeah. sure we'll be playing somewhere. We play the covers extremely straight. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are fucking Ramones covers mm-hmm. with a bunch of like half Spanglish kitchen Spanish right. shit on top of it. Right. So it's it's not just funny. And you haven't just thing. translated the lyrics into Spanish, but there's... No, a, no, no, no. Right. No, there's... <laughs> yeah, there's some funny fucking songs. Ward's a really funny guy. Um, like one of the songs is, you know, I don't want to be no pinchy wave on... You know, <laughs> like shit like that. So, you know, you take things like Pinhead and you, you tweak it. But a lot of that is, like I said, is because we've had so many friends and so many people that we genuinely love mm-hmm. from Central American and South American cultures that we've worked with for years. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, so there's real love there. Yeah. It's also just f- fucking. And that is funny. like I've worked with those dudes too, and and you know from all over, like from El Salvador, Mexico, mm-hmm. Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, and that's how I learned the majority like of the Spanish I know. It's exclusively, I never took Spanish in in class, and I apparently have a really good accent because mm-hmm. people think that I speak a lot better Spanish than I do. So we'll start talking, and all of a sudden they're just fucking going at it and like talking <laughs> to me like I know what's going on. Like I have no clue. But that being that being fucked with and and made fun of in Spanish, by that's like the number one way of showing affection. Absolutely, dudes, it's ball breaking. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I mean, it's just it's just like anywhere else. It's locker room, kitchen shit. You know, it's always just busting balls and making fun (laughs) of each other. But that's what gets you through all that Mm -hmm. the gnarly weeds and right the stress and you know my fucking knee that's killing me right Mm. now. You know, if you're not having fun and clowning on each other, it can get really shitty. Yeah, yeah, it's like that um, the foxhole. Kind yeah. Of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not to put too much importance or gravity on it, but I mean, it's it's tough and hot and sharp things everywhere. And yeah. A lot of stress. Yeah, man. I, I I mean, I've been there and I have great respect yeah. for it. And you know, I've been both front of the house and back of the house there. And I mean, whenever I was managing the front of the house, I was always trying to really like look out for the back of the house because I know yeah. you know. But like that, you were talking about washing dishes, like. I sometimes still want to like go someplace and ask if I can wash dishes <laughs> to just take that sprayer and yeah. spray the shit off the plate. When's the last time it... you washed dishes? I mean, it's been 10 years. Yeah, probably. it sucks a lot yeah. worse now. Yeah. It hurts so much worse. Yeah, because we're old. Because we're yeah. old. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so a hard doing like an eight-hour shift of like, and you get yeah. there and the sink's already full of fucking Oh, yeah, you, you like start that. off in the weeds and you're yeah. standing in water and it's just, yeah, man. I mean, it takes a yeah. particular person to be able to. to I'm just romanticizing. I think that about working in the meat department at Restaurant Depot too. That I'm like, I want to go back into that 38 degree room and pick up 80 pound boxes of fillet and tag them and drop right. the forklift. And I probably, you know, it's been now. It's been four years since I did that, and I was I was long in the tooth to be doing it when I was doing yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's yeah. a it's a different thing altogether. Um, but you know, we've actually we've got two guys in the kitchen at Pasha right now that are also pulling floor shifts. Mm-hmm. Great kids, super, super fucking hardworking, um, really good attitudes. And it's been so enlightening for them. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, this mm-hmm. is fucking hard. Mm-hmm. Dealing with mm-hmm. guests is hard, even the, mm-hmm. even the nice ones, mm-hmm. because you want to make sure that that experience is perfect, mm-hmm. which is impossible. You know, mm-hmm. if you don't strive for it, then it's going to be shitty. Right. But it's been really eye opening for those guys. And I think mm-hmm. any of that cross training is really important because Hell it lets yeah. you realize that, you know, we're all in it together and mm-hmm. we don't have a whole lot of front of back contingency because right. we've all you know as managers and owners we've all done everything right and we don't put up with that shit right I mean, that's probably the quickest way to get fired from yeah one of my restaurants is yeah to be a dick to the other side yeah whichever side you're on uh, right right you know we like just don't stick put a up plate under the um in the salamander and put it up on the <laughs> yeah that'll get you going fast <laughs> super fast it's been done to me you know? yeah it's been done to me as a cook too 
pans thrown at heads and all sorts <laughs> mm-hmm. of shit. But we just, you know, we don't do that. Um, it's stupid. It's a stupid way to run a business and a stupid yeah. way to treat people. Well, speaking of the business side of it, too, is, you know, I think so many of us go into working in food services. Like, I know that I started off, like, running food or busing. Actually, mm-hmm. that wasn't my first restaurant job. My first restaurant job was cooking at a snack bar at a Westwood Racket Club. Nice. And I made a lot of grilled cheese sandwiches. I'm sure there. you did. And then I, I did, like... Um, I cooked at Chetty's Cow and Clam Tavern. Like, I made steaks and shit, <laughs> shit back there. Awesome. And, like, I, that was really, like, the, the ad that I answered was for, like, barback, dishwasher, um, short order cook, uh, cleaner, janitor, <laughs> or something like that. He had it really, like, you know. That sounds like a restaurant. Covered order. a lot of bases, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, you know, then I went, but I didn't take any of that particularly seriously, you know. And I guess that's what I'm getting at is that as the, a lot of us go into those jobs like I'm not here, especially in front of the house. I, I'm here for tonight's tips, and that's it. And it's yep. really like rare for you know there to even be any kind of uh, um, push or, or or a mindfulness of the people there to say, hey, we're all a team. Correct. We're all we all rise and fall in this business. We all have to work together. Yeah. And when you know, we say all the time, it's it it's not it's not about me. Yeah. It's not about Michelle. It's not about the chefs de cuisine or the floor managers it's about the guest mm-hmm. and it's yeah and it sounds like bullshit it sounds like some sort of like you know corporate double speak but it really is true yeah. like we are not the important ones here we're here to facilitate a good time somebody's spending our restaurants aren't expensive but they're not cheap man right you know so somebody's taking some serious money out of their pocket to go mm-hmm. and have a great experience mm-hmm. and you have to respect that and we're really lucky like both places we have a lot of career servers and if you're working full-time at one of our restaurants i mean you're making 40 50 grand a year mm-hmm. i mean it's a people talk about real jobs that's a real job mm-hmm. it is you know um, exactly and so these people do well financially and it allows them to have free time because you know they're all artists or musicians or something there's something mm-hmm. else that they do mm-hmm. and it's great you know we don't have a lot of the you know the shit that you see in bigger markets where everybody's an aspiring actor mm-hmm. musician mm-hmm. whatever and so they bounce constantly right. they don't you know? care about business at all no no no, yeah. right. no it's about being able to you know buy the right get up for the next you know headshot right right you know or whatever it is so. or to pay for all the, all the money you spent on coke and yeah. use the night before that you shit, gotta recover that shit ain't that free, shit so right? you can pay your rent yeah exactly <laughs> that shit's not free so you know we're really lucky we have we have super super pro guys and you know you always get somebody that comes through that's that's not a right fit yeah and that yeah. happens but less than other markets that i've been in which is awesome it is interesting i mean although that does sound like some corporate double speak like you said it is a fact and it is a thing in in my line of work now that i'm constantly having to remind people that you're driving that forklift and you're putting that shit on the shelf for these people that you right now think are in your way correct you know yeah if (laughs) if i'm not there buying something right then you don't have a job to drive your forklift that's right and that's with every Every service-oriented business, of which there are fucking millions, more right. of that now more than anything, you know, certainly more than manufacturing in the States. But it is, it's about that that end user, mm-hmm. you know, whatever your job is. And mm-hmm. when you lose sight of that, <clears throat> it, things get real shitty real quick. And it's also, when you keep that in mind, it's, an, it's a very easy way to be in the flow of, like, doing the right thing. Absolutely. You know, being conscious of the fact nobody wants to hear you fucking talk and gossip while they're sitting there eating dinner. You nope. know, <laughs> they don't care about how much blow you did last night right. or, you know, who you took home from the bar. That's, you know, that's not what they're there for. Right. But, you know, a lot of that, when you're keeping the guest in mind, when you keep that in the front of your head, I mean, it's fucking bad brains. It's PMA, right? Mm-hmm. You keep the positive middle attitude mm-hmm. going. And it really, I mean, it makes your job easier. It makes mm-hmm. you better at your job. Everything is better. You know, I mean, we all have shitty days and get negative. Yeah, but yeah. 
you know, it's important to keep that stuff up front. Yeah, and it's not, it's not, I mean, it really isn't corporate bullshit. It's really actually how everybody should live life, too. <laughs> you yes. know, it's like, absolutely. They be should. aware of what the fuck is going on around you and be conscious of the impact that you're having on other people. I mean, you don't have to be codependent to do that, you know? No, and you don't have to be <clears throat> a fucking Pollyanna either mm-hmm. to just realize that being nice to human beings is a reasonable thing to do, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, Life is easier when people are happy, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, another thing I was just thinking about is that like, you know, basically in a restaurant often isn't respected even by the guest as a place of business. It's not thought of as a legitimate business. It's not thought. Yeah. Of, and it has everything that any other business I've ever worked at has, whether yeah. it's an advertising agency or um, a record label or a coin company or it's yep. the same model. Like you've got somebody in the warehouse in the back place making the thing yeah. and, and, and constructing the thing and delivering the thing. Then you got the customer service agents, right. you know, yeah, yeah. whether they're taking, you know, they're taking orders they're selling stuff it's correct like, and you have that that interim thing and they always have to deal with the attitudes of the people that are in the back room and i've gotten the same attitude when, well i was the shipping department at a record label and i had the same attitude when a salesperson came back and dropped another fucking order right in in my little slot that i had to get out before seven o'clock and it's like six fifteen. right you know right exactly <laughs> exactly i mean it's, it's all the same shit it's that the same any shit. business is you know? and you also end up you know everybody talks about the slim margins in the restaurant business but you know it's true i mean mm-hmm. unless you're going in to like start a chain of something or mm-hmm. lowest common denominator buy you know nothing against people who buy prepared foods but buy the already made shit so you can just mm-hmm. hire some hump to drop it in the fryer right right you can make some money doing that but in in the the more formal sort of full service restaurant game mm-hmm. there's not a shitload of money to be made no. you know it takes a lot of people to do it so that pays a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got perishable products. Mm-hmm. You've got things that are getting broken and ruined constantly. Mm-hmm. So it's really stressful. And so when people come in and treat it like it's their living room yeah, and you're the help, yeah. it can be a real drag. Yeah. You know? There's definitely a balance there. And that, and that is part of the reason that people do this. People serving have the tood they have is because they are getting tood. For know? sure. And there's definitely, I mean, there's a the hospitality thing flows both ways. You know, you have to be a good guest and yeah, you know, you, you do, but at the end of the day, it's very much a microcosm of society. You get people who are fucking amazing. Yeah. They're just a joy. You have people who are horrible Mm -hmm. and are never going to be happy with anything. Luckily for us, the vast majority of the people we have are somewhere from good to awesome. Yeah. Occasionally you have somebody that you're never going to make happy. And Mm -hmm. my partner, Michelle is always like, well, we did that. We did the right job. Yeah. They wanted to be pissed off and miserable. They are. Yeah. So even that was a success. Mm-hmm. Like, that was and a hard thing sometimes. That's a as true. shit thing too. It's yeah. I mean, it really is a practice of like, hey, there's nothing I I cannot. I have no control. I have no like. Th- there's nothing I can do here. I have to just let that be. I have to detach from that person's thing because I've made the m- fucking mistake of giving it back to them before, and that's a great way to get fired. Yeah, man, it know? never works out well. It never. <laughs> you works can't out win well. a fight with a customer. You so. can't. No, yeah. because you know it's not that the customer is always right. Customers frequently wrong. Yep. It's just not your job to tell them that they're That's wrong. That's right. You're not going to set them right. You're not going to no. straighten them out. We've had, we've had a couple of people that, you know, we've had to explain to them that they probably shouldn't come back mm-hmm. because they've been in three or four times and they're miserable every time. Mm-hmm. We can't make them happy. So why don't we just stop this? Yeah. And it's this always relationships not working out for you. Yeah, guys. exactly. <laughs> I'm like, how the, how, you know, and they always get so confused. Like, what are you talking about? I'm like, do you, I mean, you're miserable as shit. Mm-hmm. You send everything back. You hate everything. You hate the service. 
just go someplace that you like. Mm-hmm. Make mm-hmm. yourself happier, you know? Because we're we not going to do it. We had a real, uh, by the way, I can help with increasing those margins on the food costs. There. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> you would have to drive my ass up there. That's, That's right. Well, no, you just get a, uh, you know, get a, a, a under guy, the guy that washes the dishes and wants to watch when you're cooking. Right. You send him up there. Those guys you know? don't have cars. You let them use yours. Or you, or you rent a $20 U-Haul uh, van. It works out. But I was I only nice bring this up. Pitch. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> I bring this up to say we have customers like that there and it's very ironic that they are the people who have to deal with the worst attitudes of customer service. I mean, there's one guy who's been shopping with us and you and I you know him, but I'm not going to call him out here, but he is the nicest guy to me. I mean, we are we always shoot the shit and we're like I would consider him a friend. Right. But when but I'm constantly hearing that he's the biggest fucking asshole in there. Like he's always complaining about every single aspect you know, this won't scan. That's I can't find this. Nah, 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 nah. And yep. it's I, was, I said, you know what? I, Caleb is the, the branch manager. I think I think he honestly just comes here to blow off the steam. I mean, it could be <laughs> he gets from, yeah. you know, f- people talking to him like that. It, it works. I mean, you know? you know, that's why most of us drink. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because you're just taking it so fucking hard all the time. And you're mm-hmm. like, I just need to stop. I need yeah. to stop thinking. And it's super unhealthy. And not a good way to live life, but well, unfortunately, you know. it does. In my experience, at least the kind of drinker I am, it just ratchets it down into a place where it eventually blasts out. You right know. at the most <laughs> inappropriate time possible. That's right. Yeah, I'm trying yeah. to practice the Bruce Lee thing, the uh, Tao of the intercepting fist, or you know, you, or you're just not there when the punch comes. Right. You know. Right. I think that that's very. <laughs> Try not very to smart. have a fixed stance. Which right. Is, that's the ego, you know? Yeah. That person's not insulting you. Their person is just being a little bitch, you know? They're being right. a baby. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. And so, I mean, it really, it's a, it's initially a tough practice, but when you stop looking at it as somebody is personally calling me out, they're just blasting, you know, farts out of their mouth. They're right. just, you know. Oh, absolutely. It has no reflection. It, 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 so you can just, the, a, it really is a freeing and powerful thing when you figure out how to just, like, use the mental judo and like get out of the way of the attack the problem with me is you know being a wildly insecure fucking head case um you know we're putting ourselves as as a chef and as an owner we're putting ourselves on the plate every fucking minute of Mm -hmm. every service so when somebody sends something back because they really just don't like it Mm -hmm. like fuck man that really sucks and so then you're questioning yourself like am i an idiot Mm -hmm. is this a terrible dish and you taste it and you're like eh, that's pretty fucking good that's what i meant to do that's what yeah. i meant to do mm-hmm. it succeeded they didn't like it but it's always like this like emotional gut punch yeah. the first time you know and i try and let it you know try and be a duck's ass but it doesn't doesn't always well, work it, well, you, that's all you can do it's like you said about the perfection of, of aiming for perfection if you don't mm-hmm. aim for it it's definitely going to be shit but you're never right. going to get there right and the same goes for that kind of no one is ever going to be like fucking, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi or, or Correct. you know, floating above the clouds in a lotus position. And right. None of this. But exist. having the desire to get, you know, to, that's a, your second thought when you initially like feel that gut punch or that. Because I'm just yeah. as fucking insecure, man. And I, I don't, I mean, I used to get defensive as fuck over a cocktail when I was a yeah. bartender, you know. And Yeah. Like, and, get, you know, for me, it's not even, it's like, it's not defensive. It's like. It's like shattering. It's like somebody that's telling you you're a fucking failure. It's like when you're old, when you're old man, you know, when your old man's like, why are you such a failure? It's, yeah. It's like that feeling. And, you know, we had a dish get sent back last night and they're like, this is just ridiculously salty. I was like, oh, fuck, man. You know, mm-hmm. so I went and tasted the dish. Totally perfect. So I'm mm-hmm. like, then I'm bummed that they're not having a good time, but yeah. I'm not like, you know, kicking myself in the ass that 
we're putting out garbage food. Yeah. So it's a it's a mix, but yeah, if you're not trying to, if you're not tr- always trying to be better, then you're never fucking gonna. Get That's better, right. You know, with anything. So what is, um, and by the way, back to that Jacques Lemaire thing. I saw her entry about being here for Fireflower Fork yeah. or something like that, and yeah. it was like Duke's mayonnaise hashtag, you know, hashtag uh, pork belly hashtag, like all of this stuff. And I was like, is this is she dissing the Richmond food scene? Or no, she you know, actually saying, she. I, she really likes it. Um, she came down and volunteered for that. I didn't get to see her really because she was in the fucking weeds doing all mm-hmm. this volunteer stuff. But um, no, she really likes it. What here. is her real name? Uh, Christine Moody. Christine Moody, and she is a chef in Boston, or no, she's in um, Toronto. She's in Canada. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's in somewhere up north somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. She worked in Boston for a while, so she's buds with a lot of chefs there. Um, she may be coming here to cook with us, mm-hmm. keeping our fingers crossed. Um, Really? Yeah. Where? At At Pasture. Oh, wow. Holy shit. That's very cool. Yeah, it could be really cool. Um, Another buddy of mine is a chef in Boston. Um, He has a restaurant called Alden & Harlow. Uh, Michael Scalfo, fucking super cool guy. He's coming down too. It's this big charity dinner we do every June. Mm -hmm. First weekend in June. Sort of in conjunction with Broad Appetit. Tell more about it. What is it now? It's called Off Broad Appetit. So it's the dinner. We do a dinner at Pasture that's 100%, not 100% of sales, but all proceeds after cost covering Mm -hmm. go to Feedmore. Mm-hmm. So we typically write a pretty big check. I mean, five, right six on. grand from one night. We have chefs coming from all over the country. So one of my old sous chefs who's killing it in L.A. right now, he's going to come in. Um, Michael Bryant, he's at a place mm-hmm. called Larchmont. My buddy from the National Port Board comes every year and cooks, and he's a big wow. sponsor of the dinner. Um, he's awesome, Stephen Garrick. And then, yeah, and Andre Mack, hipster winemaker guy, really dear friend. He always comes out and pours wine. So it's a cool event. You yeah. Know? Um, I think it's like 120 bucks, but it's all the booze and food that you can consume. And That sounds fucking great. And it's it goes to feed more. broad appetite. Yeah, so it's the it's the Saturday night before broad, broad appetite. Okay. Which is a fucking ass kicker weekend for yeah. me. I mean, you know, come Monday, I'm pretty much fucked. Because between the two restaurants, we'll serve, I don't know, somewhere around 3,000 portions of food mm, wow. on Sunday. Plus a big dinner the night before. And entertaining chefs for three days is... Yes, Long, plus yeah. you're having all of these peers up in your up business. In shit. <laughs> yeah. And everybody wants to do nothing but eat and drink constantly, so, yeah. which is awesome. Oh, my buddy Justin Brunson is coming out. But you got to get work done, too, and you're going to be hungover. And, you know. I schedule pretty heavy that yeah. week, and I mean, pretty much everybody knows that come Thursday of that weekend, I'm... I will be of no use to you. I'm pretty much out of the picture, <laughs> you know. I'll sell some shit on Sunday, but other than that, yeah. But it's, it's awesome. The guys love it because they get to meet all these really great chefs. You know, it's really inspirational for all of us because, you know, we get stuck in a rut. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a nice rut, but, you know, it's what we do. Mm-hmm. We pump it out every day. It's mm-hmm. like it's like fucking factory work in a mm-hmm. lot of ways, mm-hmm. you know, because it needs to be exactly the same every time mm-hmm. you push and push and push. So these guys come in from all over the country doing all sorts of crazy shit, and the guys get really stoked. So each one of my cooks gets paired up with one of the chefs. Mm-hmm. So they're basically like – It's a little apprenticeship thing. Yeah, it's like, it's, like a, it's like a one-night stage in your own restaurant. Wow. Yeah, it's That's cool. really cool. Yeah, it's neat. There's a lot of benefits to that. Yeah, it's a good night, man. It's a really good night. And we've had great chefs every year. Um, really great chefs. I mean, we've had, I don't know, the list is long. You know, Sean Brock and Edward Lee and, you know, a bunch of really hot shit guys. And it's always nice. You know, we also do it with people that we want to hang out with. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's the key. You know, trying to get a group of guys and, and girls together that like each other and want to hang out as opposed to let's find the fanciest fucking guy that we can find like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who's the hottest shit on tv right now mm-hmm. you know we want to have some of that because the guests like to see like yeah people that they've seen on the tv but right 
you know, it's more about people we want to be with. Yeah. yeah. It's really weird. Like as I'm listening to us, you know, talk about this, how like I'm thinking about all the conversations I've listened to about entertainers you know, and, and how they, you know, talk about work in a room and like, you know, like and what it feels like if it's not going over well and all oh, of that. Yeah. And how much, I mean, it, it's sort of the, the idea that a chef is a rock star and all of that kind of stuff is used sort of pejoratively and, yeah. and almost like, um, I don't know exactly the right word. It's ironic even maybe, but it's a fact. I mean, it actually is a very similar kind of a thing. I mean, you are you people are coming for they're paying their money they're coming to be entertained they're coming to have a good time Correct. they're going to consume something it's that not is it's be... not exclusively what you do before you go to entertainment later anymore right right it used to always be you would go to dinner before you go to the theater you go to the dinner before you go to the movies now people are going to dinner to go to dinner yeah you know the whole experience awesome. is the entertainment right yeah right. absolutely and you know I do, I do think that rock star thing can be a bit pejorative but the part that bugs me part of me thinks it's bullshit mm -hmm. that you know this like cult of celebrity but i mean it's been good for me People yeah like to see me in press and whatever and they say nice things and it's great well the brand recognition thing and the huge man for yeah. me it's all about asses and seats you mm -hmm. know i mean it's nice when people say nice things mm -hmm. don't get me wrong well we just want to feed people but the the problem i have with when people use it as a pejorative is that it's almost just like you, you got too big for your britches right like you don't understand your place your place is it's like be... i said about the balls on the plate yeah the you know yeah. and there's a lot of chefs that are like that too they're like mm -hmm. i never leave my fucking kitchen you know i don't mm -hmm. do tv i don't do this stuff i'm like mm -hmm. well that's great for you if that model works and you're probably a fucking dick mm -hmm. so people might not even want to see you on tv but that's great you know if your restaurants are full and you're happy that's awesome mm -hmm. for most of us that go out and are seeking this pr part of its insecurity and mm -hmm. you want people to say nice shit but a lot of it's just marketing. You yeah. Know? I mean, we have to fill our restaurants pretty much every day or people don't get paid. Yeah. You know? I mean, and this is this is all parallel to, to that. Like, and, you know, I keep wanting to you you were sort of like, you know, comfort is almost like the fucking CBGB's Broad <laughs> right. Street, you so know, weird. you know, it's like the first restaurant in a part of town that people were chicken shit about going to about dealing with, you know, and so you came in there and you said, I'm going to take a chance in this place. I want to be here. Yep. You know, you helped attract people down there. And yeah. and it's been a very much, you've consistently kept it a punk rock thing Yeah. Of, with those kinds of values and mores. Yeah, and it's super DIY. And, yeah. and, you know, it's it's punk rock without the fuck you. Mm -hmm. You know? Right, right. You know? Um, and there's hmm. a little bit of that. I mean, if I want to listen. And not all the punk rock is fuck you, though. Like, I don't not think, at all. Yeah, you know. Um, the fuck you meaning the brashness not right. necessarily like actually right i'm gonna kick your ass but you know i mean there are nights when it's a little it's... more um uh ingratiating than <laughs> yes it has to be yeah but if i want to listen to mc5 on a saturday night when it's busy i put on the fucking mc5 yeah mm -hmm. you know um you got to read the room but there are times when you're just like you know i want to hear rock and fucking roll mm -hmm. right now and we do it you know it's it's weird now because you know, I'm not old, but 42 and the place has been open almost 14 years and kids are getting older. So it's a very, it's a different feel for me, mm -hmm. you know, cause when we opened for the first six or seven years, I mean, I was in there a hundred hours a week. I yeah. lived there. My kids were raised in the room, you mm -hmm. know, as little as we could, I didn't want them to be that like classic immigrant, like restaurant owner family where the kids are doing homework in the back booth every day. Um, but they were raised in that room. So it's a little different now having a couple of restaurants and traveling more for work and stuff, mm -hmm. but we do try and keep it very much comfort. Yeah. You know, it's important. So I'm trying to think when you, when you opened that place, and I remember even before when it was the, 
blue bottle mm-hmm. and Chang, Chang and, place. yeah i don't even remember if they had what the food was but i remember going to see bands there and yeah like it was kind of like hole in the wall i think wasn't it or it was it was a fancier version they were trying yeah. to do some some nicer stuff and you know i think that that you know unfortunately he kind of got in his own way a little bit sure, sure. which sucks yeah. um but what they were trying to do was really was awesome to have this sort of gathering space in that neighborhood where punk rockers had lived forever yeah. you know and you know that interesting mix of like Long time black residents, punk rockers, students, you know, some gentrifiers, but that that crazy mix that was happening yeah. right there in like the late nineties, early two thousands. And I think they tried to do a really great job, it just didn't quite yeah. hit. So we actually when we got it, the space was cut in half. So we only have the space that comfort is now. They'd already walled it off. They'd already walled it off. And that was great for us because we could cram more seats in. Um because if we had that other space, I don't know that we would have survived. Right. It would have been double the rent, right? It would have been double the rent and it would have been double the space to fill. Yeah. You know, and part of that thing that made Comfort so successful was that it was always busy. Yeah. I mean, still. It felt busy. It looked busy. Yeah. And nothing draws a crowd like a crowd. Yeah. You know, so if we had it spread out, then it would have had almost more like a fine dining feel and it just would have been awkward and weird. So we were really happy to have it crammed into that tiny space. And it was also just less shit for us to manage. I mean, it was our first restaurant that we owned and. And the yeah. windows right there is like plates can almost like be thrown from the kitchen onto some of those tables, which <laughs> creates some issues when you got a bunch of <laughs> jerk off kitchen guys back there. Ward and I were um, <coughs> kind of early on. Maybe it was like the second year we were open. We were totally busting the dishwasher's balls like so bad and so vulgary mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. in Spanish. It was really it was funny as shit, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. totally inappropriate. And this really beautiful young woman comes to the window. And she's like, "By the way, your all Spanish is really good." And I'm like, <laughs> Oh my God! She's like, she's like, it's fine. It was really funny. I'm like, no, it's not fine. That's that's bad. Yeah, you that's gotta watch really that bad. stuff. You think when you're thinking you're talking the good like dirty Spanish and nobody yeah. understands it. Oh, they all you. understand. <laughs> but you know, she was. It was one of those things where she was in a booth. We didn't even know that there was still a guest in the room. Yeah. And then she walks up, super pretty and nice, and I'm like, oh my God, man, I just super fucked up. So you got it. And this is the thing I was trying to work around asking when I brought brought up the old original thing that was there. When you started Comfort, there was like maybe a handful of like chefs that were known in Richmond, like uh, Jimmy Sneed and a uh, Ed Visayo and um, who else? I mean Dale. Dale. Dale Reitzer. Reitzer. And that's he's heritage. No, wait, where is he? Acacia. Acacia. Right, right, right. Um, okay. And you had Lemaire. I mean, that was kind of it, you know. Which in some ways was awesome for us because, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of competition. We didn't really have any competition for what we were doing. You know, right. there weren't a whole lot of upscale, totally from scratch restaurants. I mean, Michelle Williams had her restaurants that were, mm-hmm. you know, were and still are always really busy. <clears throat> Excuse me. But there wasn't a ton going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was nothing that was upscale-ish and right. Southern. Right. The only Southern food in town then was like Johnson's Grill and places like lunch yeah. joints. Yeah. You know, so there was no place where you could get fried catfish and greens. Meatloaf and... And a beer or a yeah, bottle of wine. Yeah. You know, so we hit that sort of upscale niche a little bit, but it was also super approachable, you mm-hmm. know? And also in that neighborhood, if we had done anything more adventurous than what we did, we would have failed immediately. Yeah. Because the, the challenging part... And the sort of edgy thing that people felt like they were doing was going to the neighborhood. Right, right. So then if they walked in that room and it was like super fancy, challenging food, we would have it would have been a disaster. Plus the people who were like me at the time, who you know made me two hundred dollars a week or three hundred dollars <laughs> a week, you know I, I could still afford. 
I couldn't have afforded to eat there if it was fancy, but I could afford the way you set it up. And yeah. like, you know, a, a person like myself could go out there and have a nice dinner and not be alienated. And people yeah. who had the money to eat just about anywhere could come down there and have a good time. And, and we always, you know. and we still do see a really great mix of people, mm-hmm. but in the early days in particular, I mean, it was, you know, before everybody had fucking neck tattoos. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was neck tattoos next to older black families that mm-hmm. had lived in the neighborhood forever next to West end, super rich white mm-hmm. people next to you know country ass people from way down south side and everybody was in the same room everybody was having fun and you know everybody says they want to be everything to everybody like why wouldn't you right right you want to take as much money as you can and not not to be greedy but i don't ever want somebody to feel like they can't come and spend money at one of my restaurants yeah but it's rare to actually be able to pull it off and you know i don't know that that was a consequence of anything that we did in particular but just that time and that space and that's the kind of person you are you know i'm trying to be welcoming it's it's definitely I mean, you can't, you cannot manufacture that fucking vibe if it's not really who you are. Yeah, we were you just know? talking about this the other day. I've um, been talking with some TV people, talking about rockstar chefs, which I'm far fucking from a rockstar chef. But you know, when we're talking about some of you're this... a punk rock chef, you're an indie rock star chef. <laughs> yeah, there you go, indie yeah, rock, like the Bob Pollard of. Yeah. <laughs> I can't drink like that guy does anymore, but other than that, he should close. drink no, like man, that. No, man, that guy's... Well, he pours half of it on himself, to be fair. No, dude, I mean, we... I, I got to spend a little time around him because, you know, I worked for that label. Yeah. And he actually was one of the first people I met that was a, you know, like a full-blown... Like, I drink beer for breakfast... Right. alcoholic you right know? like shakes if he doesn't right yeah. and, and i don't know about the, I, ne- I don't want to like say that but he my friend conrad actually traveled with him and they went to a bunch of shows and and that's how cool a guy he was that he was like traveling with one of the guys from the shipping department and somebody else to go to a festival that's somewhere. awesome and um and conrad said hey you know bob why don't you don't you think you should have some breakfast and he goes conrad when you have rock and roll flowing through your veins like i do all you need is Budweiser. <laughs> Fuck yes. That guy's fucking awesome. But back to the, the thing that we we're talking about. Right. You know, when we're talking about doing anything, if it's press, if it's any sort of PR stuff, um, if it's television, whatever that we're talking about, like what brand that we've created in our tiny ass little restaurant group is it's so much about authenticity. Mm-hmm. Like it has to be authentic because if not, then we're just some other jackass trying to sell small plates right. at one place and meet with well, another. Well, the fucked up thing you know? about authentic is it becomes this goddamn brand itself, which yeah. isn't authentic. It's, right. It's, authentic is having a vintage sign I found at the Mechanicsville Flea Market right. or, or in Hanover at the Frog on a Bicycle. And then it's, you know, like I, it's like the, it gets to be like TGI Fridays or something like that where you get yeah. a bunch of uh, tchotchke yeah. and shit. And authentic is really actually being who you are are which is the, the like the yeah. punk rock thing nobody else could do it like me i'm gonna do my thing and people and like... can do all sorts of things way better and worse whatever mm-hmm. but yeah i mean if you're if, for me at least you know i'm not trying to manufacture an environment i'm not trying to manufacture um really anything you know i, I mean i'm not smart enough to to be perfectly honest like you know i'm not that guy right i'm not smart enough to be able to figure out how to pull the wool over people's eyes and do this kind of shit so but you also wouldn't look at somebody else's restaurant and say that's working that whole shtick that vibe is working i'm going to recreate that even though it's not really me in my place because people like it you know would never could i mean you know i'm not going to bed at night on a pillow made of money right but i still have to go to sleep at night so i've got to i've got to feel good about what i'm doing Mm -hmm. and i'm really proud of everything that all of our guys do every day i mean they're fucking badasses and and the women are fucking amazing 
but yeah, I mean, it, it really, it, for me, it just, it needs to be authentic. And, and you're right. Like when your when your brand starts to blow up, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it can be a little tough, you know, like, are you the dude that always wears a trucker hat? Are you the mm-hmm. dude, you know, mm-hmm. like you, you know, you run the risk of this, like, even though you were doing that shit unironically before right. that right. was ever a thing. Yeah. Now you got to answer for all the douchebags that have just decided to put it on as a costume. Yeah. And that, again, we're, that's the rock and roll thing, you know, right. like somebody, I mean, and this was like, you know, I lived in the East village. This is the kind of thing that was always going on. Somebody would start doing something really cool down there mm-hmm. that was very much them and they couldn't do anything else. It's like, this right. is me. I'm doing my thing and it would blow up and then motherfuckers would swoop on it and it'd become a fashion thing, Yep. you know, and, and then the original person's thing is bullshit because it got blown up, you know. <laughs> Absolutely, man. It happens all the time. And, you know, and then you start thinking like, well, you know, if every fucking chef out there is going to have the chunky black glasses and the fucking beard and the trucker hat and mm-hmm. the whatever, and like, I need to like rethink my shit. And then, yeah. and then that becomes inauthentic as well. So, you know, you just muscle through and somebody yeah. can think I'm a tool. I mean, I am, I guess. So maybe they're not wrong, but, um, <laughs> But, you know, I mean, whatever, that shit's on them, you know? I mean, yeah, well, if you keep doing what you're doing, it'll go in and out of style, and then you'll be back on the edge again. Exactly. People way, are going to so. go all the way back into sous vide fucking foams and shit soon mm-hmm. enough, and we're still going to be making meatloaf and mm-hmm. hamburgers. Yeah. Really good ones, I think. I have, have I had, I don't even know if, I've had the one that you do at uh, Pasture. That's, that's really awesome. Yeah. It's a Big Mac, kind of. Yeah, that's right. It's a, uh, it's a slightly fancier it's a slightly fancy big mac i mean mm-hmm. it's a martin's potato roll it's dill pickles and special sauce and shredded lettuce and white onions but we make the special sauce and we make the pickles and we buy good ass ground beef you know we buy um creekstone ground beef so mm-hmm. it's is that a local farmer they're out of kansas actually but mm-hmm. they're they treat their cows really well and um you know that's where the superior angus beef comes from that sold at restaurant depot oh yeah well. yes it's from kansas from kansas <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Little plug. There. there you go. Are you getting sponsorship dollars? They pay me. You know. I guess it's like sponsorship, right? By the way, you know, I, I tell this story a lot because when I started doing this podcast, I had quit working there. And I was doing this full time. Like, meaning like I was doing three or four of them a week. Right. And I was going around hitting people up to sponsor it. And you were one of the, the few yep. people that I did that with. And the reason I didn't continue to do it after you and like I think I asked Manny and, and Mac mm-hmm. – um, and, and a bunch of people did. and But I was sitting there with my laptop and having just come from sitting like this, talking to somebody, watching right. you sweat making pasta in the basement of your restaurant. Right. And I felt like a piece of shit like, <laughs> asking you for money. And, <laughs> and I went, That's I'm going to have to go back to Restaurant Depot and work so that I could support my own fucking podcast. <laughs> That's funny as you know? shit, dude. Yeah. Like, cause I just didn't, and, and yes, this is a type of work and maybe I'm, you know, I'm sure. doing something that only I can do or whatever, but I still don't feel like anybody should really be paying yeah. unless they really you know want to support it in the way that you support like public radio, public radio or some shit like that. Sure. But, um, but you know, that, that work ethic thing, um, is, is really, that was something you reminded me of, That's you know, and, awesome. I had some other thing. I, I totally lost my train of thought on that. Oh, oh yeah, the plug to Restaurant Depot, yeah, right, yeah. right. Yeah, they do give me sponsorship dollars. It's my salary. Correct. You know. <laughs> Correct. And and it ta- and it is a really great company, and they take really good care of me. And I have good. to say, I am. There's lots of companies I've worked for that are. Now, I've never worked for one that size before. Yeah, they're but, big. Yeah, but they're not as big as Costco or Sam's Club. No, no, and no. We're still the you know the 
up and comers or the whatever we've got like 10 percent of the national market of that kind of thing or something like that but they really are like they're they have a big box but they actually are a family run privately owned business that is uh i was in there getting small wares the other day um we don't buy a lot of food from there because we mm. mostly are buy. you know, we have so many purveyors and mm-hmm. things that are like super specific to what we do and not that product there is bad at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also lazy. Yeah. I just like to have people bring shit to me, but we do have a lot of smallwares there and, um, I'm in line and the assistant manager, great, big, tall Jamil, Jamil, mm-hmm. super fucking nice guy. He just yells across the, uh, the room. He's like, congratulations. I'm looking around <laughs> and he's pointing at me. He's like, congratulations on your LB. I was like, Oh my God, dude. Thank you so much. Just totally random. Came up, shook my hand, talked to me for like 15 minutes, told mm-hmm. everybody around how they need to come to the restaurants and how great they are. And just super nice guy, super friendly. Um, that was a weird, a weird thing, but awesome. Yeah. And you know? I'm glad that that happened because I, I, we don't usually do anything like sponsoring shit like that. Yeah. You know, I mean, Restaurant Depot sort of has this attitude that's like, look, you're not paying for our advertising budget you're not paying for our marketing budget we're not putting any of this kind of money we're really just trying to open up a building and give you access to stuff right also so you can learn how much shit is really supposed to cost right because i mean i was just doing a shop the other day and the the buyers were like this guy's paying three times what we charge for walnuts i mean he's paying an obscene amount of money for walnuts and i'm like that's because the guy gave him a good deal on chicken wings you right. know and like you don't really know that when you're reading those invoices yeah. all the time but if you you have access to this place it's like the fucking library yeah. you know you can go in there and do research and know yep. all right this is really the par of what shit's supposed to cost yep. you know and that way i mean we don't care if people use us all the time or individually i can't believe we're getting into talking about this, this right now this is funny as shit <laughs> <laughs> but i mean you know i hear that shit all the time and since people be listening that i'm too lazy to go in there great but when you're in that spot where business is fucking down and you can't get more asses in the seats, yeah. you can turn around and come to us and we have the same quality of anything that you're getting yeah. delivered and you can lower your cost 20% and you can maybe get through a lean time. You've got yeah, the option, sure. you know. For sure. Absolutely. I mean the you know the thing with me with um any delivered stuff. I mean like produce in the summertime is I would say is fucking 80% mm-hmm. local, you know, mm-hmm. from, you know, some from small Rudy's farms and some and, from, and mannequin town, some from and, big farms mm-hmm. too, you know, um, but local, mm-hmm. um, you know, all the fish that we get is local, meaning mid Atlantic, right. Occasionally Gulf. We don't do anything flown in. Um, a lot of that's just because of the environmental impact. Sure. I'm like, why well, the that fuck is where our shellfish comes from and shit, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, same yeah. place. Um, but I'm like, why am I going to fly anything in when we have great shit around us? Right, right. It doesn't make sense. Right. So I can get, you know, catfish out, you of, guys the, really out of the Rappahannock. I mean, you guys really aren't our core customer, you know, with that kind of thing. But napkins are napkins and styrofoam, styrofoam. And that, no, they weren't. And that actually, that shit is 50% cheaper at Restaurant Depot. Yeah. And so know? for us, we we buy a lot of shit from you guys. And that, like, that's what we do. We buy, like, some paper goods and we buy mm-hmm. small wares and all that shit. Sometimes lentil flour. So or something chickpea like that. Chickpea flour. Chickpea flour, that's right. And I actually need to go yeah. by there and get one of those big-ass jugs of sumac. But, um... Yes, the five pound. I love it when I watch um, like TV shows like Orange is the New Black and everything in that kitchen is chef's quality. Yeah, yeah. Like all the spices and all yeah, that shit. It's funny And shit. that's a movie person went and bought all of that stuff. You know, right, exactly. Props, you know, exactly. Right? It's funny as shit. But, um, but, you know, we're, we're really – it sounds kind of fucked up. But so you're thinking about this DIY sort of authentic vibe that, mm-hmm. that we have going on. We're also crazy specific about right. everything we use. Mm-hmm. Napkins – Everything. I mean, everything we're really super specific about. And um, 
it becomes a pain in the ass to to buy sometimes sure you know because you're going to so many different places to find the right thing and i mean we write a right, lot but, of checks to a lot of right. people be, because of that and it's it's kind of awesome you know i mean we try we try and focus business in places where it has the most impact for that person mm-hmm. and then also spread it around amongst the other people because you know victory farms is a, a, a huge customer of ours in the summertime mm-hmm. we do a lot of business with them for them you know if that was a produce company they wouldn't give a shit about right us, right you know because it's just not that huge a volume right but um but it's awesome man and i like i like that to be able really... to buy shit from places where i can go and see absolutely it, you, know? you know and and like i mean enough of this shit about restaurant depot yeah, yeah. you know because <clears throat> i i don't like we don't we're not trying to be that you know for you know, we can't, we're really more like the fucking Sam Goody. We're not the St. Mark's guitars, you know? That's right. And like, yes, you can get some of that type of shit there, but it really isn't the goal, you know? Because we can't, right. like, if we wanted to buy produce from Victory, we wouldn't be able to get the price that makes it make sense to, 100%. you know, 100%. And that's, and that's because they're going to charge you the same as they charge me because right. a fucking rutabaga costs them what it costs them, right? you know? But we do try and visit as many places as we can that, that we buy from and, you know, we buy a lot of local shit, but we never promote ourselves as being like super, you know, people promote us as being hyper local. Right. We don't because like I can't afford to buy beef in Virginia that I want to sell. Yeah. You know, people I mean, don't want to pay those prices they, for the shit. I'm know? still so value driven. Yeah. You know, not cheap, but value driven right. that, I, you know, I can't buy $9 a pound ground beef. Right. I can't do it. You're having a, an $18 hamburger at that point. Yeah. You know, and it's still a $12 hamburger because we're still buying nice meat, but it's not super fancy. We buy yeah. local pork when we're doing charcuterie and stuff from a guy that we love, um, Clay at Automolo Farms. Great guy. His family's awesome. You know, so Edwards Ham. Oh, Edwards. You know, oh, fucking Edwards. Have you heard anything? Uh, are they coming back? There's, yeah, they are. Um, they're in demo right now, um, and they started to use a co-packer to produce. Um, I think they've got some like some of the three months, like, you know, just like straightforward country ham, country ham mm-hmm. going at a co-packer, but they just shipped out their first round of, um, of fresh sausage Lincoln patties to nice. BFG and some places like that. So they're going to use a co-packer for some of that stuff for the time being, I think. Um, but yeah, they're going to, but it's still their it. stuff, but somebody else is, it's just manufactured somebody it. else's plan. Yeah. Yep. It's the P and D deal. Right. <clears throat> for like the record label. I, I keep exactly. trying to bring everything back to music. Cause it is, I mean, the, well, basically a big part of both of our lives. I mean, yeah. You know. and, well, and, and I have the same relationship with food business as I did with with music, you right. know, and and it was the two things were cross pollinating all the time. I also go out to eat in restaurants the same way I'd go see a band. Right. You know, sure. And like, I'm not I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to go to see fucking Justin Timberlake. And, right. you know, I'm not going to eat it. Olive Garden, you know. Right. <laughs> I'll listen yeah. to Justin Timberlake, but I'm not going to go to a Justin Timberlake show. Yeah. You know. Every well, and I shouldn't have used him as an example because he's maybe Bieber. I meant Bieber. That's maybe who Bieber. I meant. Yeah. He's a fucking twerp. Yeah, that's just there's no value in that shit. There's no value. I actually went to, went to Olive Garden. I hadn't been to an Olive Garden. I went one time. Eighteen years ago. Mm-hmm. And the other day, I was with Michelle and and the kids. I'm like, the kids have never been, and they're good eaters. They like. They like nice shit, which kind of sucks for me because it gets expensive. But <laughs> we're like, you know what? Let's pretend like we're on vacation for a day. We're hanging out with Michelle. We're driving around doing errands. Let's go eat someplace that you would only eat out of town because that's the only thing there. Right, right. Like, fuck it. Let's go to Olive Garden. Ooh. <laughs> that was a mistake. I that shit has actually repeating. gone fucking downhill. I mean, it's which like. Which I think is, uh, you would think is impossible. 
But no, man. No, because they they keep figuring out more and more ways to make it like the food that you could put on the space shuttle. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And it's like it'll last forever. Worse you, you, eating you know? through science. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's it's, it's all vacuum packed. They take it out of you yeah. know. Boiling bag bullshit. That's what they're after. But, God bless them. Um, so at this point, so you get that LB award. You know, and by the way, yeah, we we really wanted to be there to you know to actually be a part of it. And Restaurant Depot doesn't generally do that, but yeah. like we really wanted to like say you know we we love you guys and we want right. you know Which actually awesome. celebrate you know with you. And it was really awesome to see you get that. Uh, and... It was weird. <laughs> it's really weird. But it's I mean p- at least people recognize that like the the thing that's got to happen in, in this town if we're gonna make like the city of Richmond able to have like good schools and all that kind of shit as motherfuckers like you have to take chances yeah you know and like they have to come down here and say i'm gonna i know what a pain in the ass this is gonna be the city is gonna fuck with me left and right for about two years i think they've gotten better they have gotten better yeah the (laughs) the opening pasture was a very different experience from opening comfort yeah for sure i mean it's a fucking city there's always gonna be problems but yeah i mean it was really it was cool i mean I, I don't I don't know. I but would, people got to take a chance. You should be recognized for taking the chance that you did. Well, thanks. I mean, and, I, I don't I, I I hate false humility as much as I hate fucking right. braggadociousness. But I mean, it really was confusing to me. I'm like, you know, because on the one hand, I'm like, I'm 42. I own two restaurants. Lifetime Achievement Award sounds right. so final, but yeah. also like sort of grandiose. Like, yeah. So I, I thought the the name of it was a little weird, but right. I mean, it couldn't be more honored. Yeah. Um, it was funny. I, don't know if you saw any of the video clips, but there were some video clips going around and woman interviews me. She's like, so what's your favorite part about the LBs other than winning? I'm like, I don't know. I've never fucking won anything. You know? And she was like, oh, sorry. I'm like, that's not a big deal. I mean, it's not like it's going to a bunch of people who don't deserve it. It's fine. But it was, uh, it was this a, was before this year. That, that was a, this year before oh, I won the event. Oh, yeah, it was like oh walking so she in. knew you were going to win though. Like, no, she no? just assumed that I've oh. won LBs in the past. I'm like, yeah, oh. no, <laughs> Nope, never. Um, so, I mean, it was a huge honor. And, I mean, really, like, the best part about that was, I mean, people had such nice things to say. I've gotten so many people who have been really supportive about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and just when people started freaking out, like, before Susan could even get through. Yeah. You know, yeah. I was like, that's pretty, that's pretty rad. It was a pretty special moment Dude, that's me. like the fucking It's a Wonderful Life thing where everybody shows up and puts dollars in the basket. You know? Yeah. Because you realize that although there are times when it seems like you're fucking making the wrong choices because other people seem to be blasting ahead of you being assholes yeah you know and then bam it comes you realize you've been doing it right all along yeah you know? it's a it's a really good feeling man and, you know there are days when i walk into the restaurants and i'm like what the fuck are we doing like mm-hmm. why is this like this why is this like that but i would say 95 percent of the time when i walk in the restaurants and i'm in you know people are like i never see you anymore I'm like i'm in both restaurants multiple times a day mm-hmm Pretty much every day, I try and make sure that Sunday I don't go into the restaurants because they're closed, so there's mm-hmm. not typically a big reason. I'm like, I'm in them all the time, and 95% of the time, I'm still, like, blown the fuck away that it's real. Yeah. You know, even mm-hmm. 13 and a half years in a comfort, there are days I walk in, I'm like, I can't believe that this is, like, part mine. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and that I was able to, to do this and be be moderately successful. You know, it's um, I'm really, really proud. What was your last job before Comfort for you. I actually comfort. worked for Michelle Williams for a year. Oh, you did? Yeah. I moved Which... up from at Europa. I was an executive oh, yeah? chef there. So I moved up from Atlanta, took that job. Um, and it was fine. You know, it wasn't, I don't think it was a really good fit for either one of us. It wasn't, I didn't feel like I was being very authentic. I mean, I love like Spanish Mediterranean food and I've cooked a lot of it. 
And I, I liked what I was doing. I feel like Michelle liked what I was doing. The guests weren't really getting it because I did change things quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving on was, was beneficial mutually, but you know, I don't know that, you know, I, I don't know what would have happened if we had an open comfort, but my first partner who's still a minority partner, Michelle has bought into comfort now, but Chris Chandler, Chris, yeah. mm-hmm. um, who I fucking love. He's awesome. But he was working there too. So we were like, we should just do this. Oh, yeah. So that's how we met. Band. Yeah. Let's start our own band. <laughs> exactly. And you know, I mean, a lot of people thought we were fucking idiots. Um, and they were probably right. You know, I feel like in a lot of ways we, we succeeded there. Like I said, because of the time and the location, but a lot of it's in spite of ourselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it was our first place. I was 29 years old. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. it wow. was bold. It was an aggressive move. I didn't realize we were that young. Yeah. I had our first kid open, open our first restaurant before I hit 30. So. Wow. Well, you know, I, I think about this a lot because I've worked at a lot of restaurants that failed. Like mm-hmm. they had. I've closed too. You have? Yeah. Sucks. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've seen what not to do a, a lot of times, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's, it's really interesting to, I mean, there, it definitely seems like humility needs to be a part of the, uh, big time, you know, <laughs> big time. And that's a tough thing for, especially for chefs, I think front of house managers to an extent. Um, but you know, you have to have enough of an ego to think that anybody would give a shit about eating your food. Right. 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 So there is ego involved always. I think if the ego goes beyond that, that's when things start to get shitty. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Um, and some people have had great careers being megalomaniacal weirdos and mm-hmm. it works for them. But in general, I think that that's where the ego should stop mm-hmm. just enough to think that your shit is worth. Well, buying. and it's also the fallibility of just because you are good at making food and you might like genuinely like love the part where you make the food, you put it on the plate and you give it to the person and all you're thinking about is how much they're going to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But thinking that you know how to run a business um, just cause you know, yeah. and the, the idea of like supply and, and maintenance and like all of the things that go into that and like not paying yourself and reinvesting in the business yeah. and all of Which that is kind an of ongoing thing. But you know, I think that a lot of, I mean, I would say that probably, you know, I'm making this number up, but I wouldn't be surprised if 40% of the restaurants that open annually are solely based on hubris, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I'm fucking great. I can do this. Everybody look at me. I make a great hamburger, whatever mm-hmm. it is that they do not based on what I think should be the reason you open a restaurant, which is partially passion. Mm-hmm. And mostly I don't fucking know how to do anything else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what I do. I can't do anything else. So let's do this the best that we possibly can. And that was really the inspiration. Very often the they, they open like they're throwing, somebody's throwing a big fucking party, right? Yep. And they know how to throw a big fucking party one night. Mm-hmm. Then they leave those same goddamn decorations up and yep. like the same snacks are on the fucking table. Absolutely. <laughs> like, and then hearts and, and flowers and around the Easter. Come, so they start buying shittier snacks, yeah. you know, and putting them out. And like, and meanwhile, all of this sort of stuff that looks so fucking nice when they opened is starting to look really shabby mm-hmm. in there because spent sunk so much money into making it look all fucking gala the first yeah. day it opened. You Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. And they didn't have any idea how they were going to execute the whole menu. Well, that's the problem. And, and like for, you know, for the grand opening, you know, 50 people came to the restaurant at the same time. They're like, I want to try your shit. I have no idea how to plate all that food for 50 people arriving at the same time. It's a, it's yeah. hard, man. I mean, you know, I think that people can, can certainly overblow the challenges of the restaurant business. I mean, there's a reason why the, the un and undereducated and sort of, you know, pirate fringe motherfuckers mm-hmm. end up in the restaurant business. Because it's not necessarily that hard. 
if you're good at it. Like if mm-hmm. your head works that way, mm-hmm. then it works that way. If it doesn't, it's a nightmare. And when you see people who come in, like they, they want to do a stage and hang out in the kitchen and they're super stoked because you know, like you say, they throw a great party or they right, make a right. great, they make a great paella mm-hmm. at home mm-hmm. and you put them on the line and you just see the fucking big eye, yeah. you know? And they're just That's right. You got to come up with a miserable. strategy to get these checks done. And there's a line there. That's the app. You get the app course out and then you got to have the, you and know, you, you know, at Comfort, Comfort's really interesting. So we, we don't really course, you know, everything takes pretty much just as long as it takes to eat an appetizer. So mm-hmm. the kitchen automatically you fires. start firing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pasture is very different. So the expediting process, expediting process at Comfort's really challenging too, because you're plating all the food that the guys are given to you. So mm-hmm. you're assembling pretty much every single plate that goes in the window. So that like physical work is very demanding. Expediting at pasture, you virtually touch no food. But the amount, the sheer volume of fucking items ordered. Mm-hmm. I mean, because really, of the small plate thing. Yeah. Right. So, so we did 200 covers last night. We probably put out with desserts. We probably put out 550, 600 plates of distinct food. dishes. Individual right? for right, individual right. dishes. Yep. That is That's a nuts. mind fuck, man. Yeah. So it's a shitload of dishes too, <laughs> like to wash afterwards to wash. and to have on hand to fucking plate all of that crap. Yeah. And, it's insane. Yeah. Right. So the guys are just humping constantly. And, um, you know, I jumped online to expo a couple of times because it just got a little hairy and yeah. the guys are all really good, but it gets to a point at towards the end of the night where it just looks like a, like a combination of letters. Mm-hmm. Like you can't even mm-hmm. read anymore. You yeah. have to like individually look at right. each check where at the beginning of the night, I can look at a full rail and I know mm-hmm. exactly what's going on by nine. Like, yes. I don't fucking even know what that word is. AKA the weeds. Oh, right. And your brain's weeds. not working anymore. And it's like... <laughs> yeah. And then it's just like rote muscle memory shit. Mm-hmm. You know, like you have to be, you have to do it frequently enough that you can just revert to that muscle memory. Cause if not, it's, that's a tough night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let me, you know, as a person who initially had no aspirations career-wise, business-wise. I didn't give a shit about anything like that. And I looked askance at anyone who did. Of course. I thought they were douchebags, yuppies, you know, fuckwads, whatever. Anybody who used the word business in a sentence with me lost my interest and I didn't want to be friends with them. Yeah, at at worst, they're the man. At best, they're a fucking chucklehead. Right, they're just some rich kid that's like a, a follower and like they just, you know, their parents put them into, you know, collegiate and... All of right. these these ridiculous stereotypes, and and I had nothing, and it was very easy for me. You know, I just basically made enough to support my drinking and support my going to rock shows right. and hanging out a hole in the wall and all that. And I, I saw no value in this stuff. And as I when I started over again in like 2008, and I really started to like, I was like, I don't like being broke, and I don't like, you know, sort of feeling the insecure as a result of that. And, yeah. and not just like e- like ego insecure, but insecure like food insecure. Or Correct. is my car going to break down yeah, insecure? Yeah, yeah. You know, can That's I pay my bills insecure? Yeah. Yeah. And I started working on that stuff and I realized what I thought was so hallowed form of creativity that was like maybe writing a record review or playing music or doing something like that. That same feeling could be applied to making a cool business you know and, and and using the strategy the strategy that it takes to you know figure out how you're going to get all these plates plated and get yeah. all of that stuff out i mean that's awesome like that's that's rock and roll i mean that is like being on stage like that's like i mean there's this comp there's a lot of creativity involved but there's also the muscle mes- memory the execution mm-hmm. like yep. all of that stuff that there's some balance between 
um, you know, having a skill, you know, yeah. and being able to like, you Absolutely. know, do that skill, and also to look at the running of a of a business, all of the components, the, you know, money and and human resources and all of that kind of shit, and to be like, think of it as writing, you know, and think of it as a creative endeavor. And that's and you know, I think like, a lot of people get super, you know, in the restaurant business in particular, because like I said, I mean, I know a little bit about the music business from from playing and you know the occasional tour, but. Really, the only business I know is restaurant business, and I th- with those sort of creative, or so, oftentimes creative businesses, you can get really bogged down by the just the the rote work of running mm-hmm. business. Yeah. Um, so I, you have to find the joy in that, mm-hmm. and there's no joy in like writing a tax check or right. paying for the fucking pest services. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. That is not sexy. No. That's just some shit you have to do. But if you can get your head around the creativity of business and how you're trying to drive business and how you're trying to excel and you see business as not just an opportunity to raise your kids and pay your mortgage, mm-hmm. but an opportunity to help other people mm-hmm. raise their kids mm-hmm. and pay their mortgage. That's right. And when you see it like that, I think it's a lot easier to get your head around the business. Because like, I was the same way, man. I mean, mm-hmm. I grew up super fucking poor, totally punk rock. And, you know, it was fuck the man, mm-hmm, you know, it was mm-hmm. like, you know, I wanted to go to law school, but I wanted to be an ACLU lawyer. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I don't want the money. I want to do like right. noble things with my right. life. And here I sit selling fucking bourbon and meatloaf. <laughs> I don't know how noble it <laughs> is, but, but you know, it, it, so I mean, I was the exact same way. And then it just got to a point where, you know, am I just doing a job or is this a career? Mm-hmm. And if it's a career, then business has to be a part of it. Yeah. And if business has to be a part of it at one point, as some, I mean, I'm, I'm fairly, I live in my own head quite a bit, mm-hmm. but you know, at what point do you then do that for yourself? And so that was sort of my evolution mm-hmm. with getting my head around the fact that you can run a business and you can run multiple businesses and you don't have to be a shitbird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, 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 the, and, and seeing it almost as an avocation too, that like yeah. part of what like I doubt like and I'm I'm 100% sure that the Ramones and the Dead Boys and all those bands that played at CBGB's back then weren't thinking of building a scene or contributing to the the economy of no. the Bowery and no. neither was Hilly you know no. none of those people were doing that but having seen that happen can you still have the punk rock ethos and then say I do want to cultivate a uh, community and a and a um, an ecosystem of economy in an yeah. area and say, I want to bring that, I want to come into this place and I want to do the things that I value and I legitimately dig and do it with quality and also be thinking about my role in on this street, in this community and like supporting it and, and, and create that thing that happens accidentally, you know? When right. A, well, I mean, I think in a, in a music sense and you can say all sorts of shitty things about it, but that whole discord scene, you know, I mean, you know, Kay can be, quite the fucking cocksucker right, don't get right, me wrong i right. mean um he can be a very unpleasant purpose person but they did that they did do that you know That's right. and that was that was and I, that was what i found so appealing about that scene as a kid like so much more so than like california punk rock scene was that these people were going into this like super diy thing they were tra- they were creating a real sense of community mm-hmm. while still being super punk rock, you know, mm-hmm. and to be able to see that you could do that and manu- and manufacture and it. own the means of production. Correct. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, vertical integration in yeah. the punk rock world, yeah. you know? Um, I mean, that was so fucking appealing to me. So yeah, I think you can do that. And I think you can do that in any creative business. Um, it doesn't all have to just be just ever, accidental. Right. Awesome. You it know, can be mindful. And do you ever wonder that maybe the people who do do the, you know, really are into business and all that kind of shit. 
want the countercultural type people to think that it's bullshit and not be good business people and not want to get involved in business. And then partially we're lock stepping into, I mean, it's not a hundred percent a conspiracy, right. but like, or a conspiracy at all, but like allow these douchebags, these silly little kids to think that they're better off owning nothing, having no business, you know, just living paycheck. To paycheck. I, you know, the guys that yeah. I know that are in that world, I mean, there's some that are really awesome, wonderful people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's not – I don't think it's anywhere near that conscious. Well, I don't mean them specifically. I mean in our culture that like you know, we think we're being rebels, but we're actually right. occupying a role in society of like I not think, trying. <laughs> I, think that's abs- I think that's absolutely true. I think that most people who are super business-minded and you know, you're sort of corporate elite, we're not even on their fucking radar. Right. We don't exist. Right. You know? So, you know – they haven't created that, – that's not their construct, but right. I do think it exists you know, in that mm-hmm. space for sure. But I'm also totally fine with that. Like mm-hmm. I don't feel in any way that you know, having my tiny little house in Church Hill and my couple of restaurants and – you live up here? Yeah, I live at the Dead End of Marshall. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, 12 years now. Um, like I'm totally cool with that. And if people think I'm a fucking idiot, I'm totally cool with that too. Mm-hmm. I mean I would love to make a bunch of money so that my kids don't have to worry about shit and – you know, well, I'm, I'm not, not saying it like the judgment of those people. What yeah. I'm saying is it like, you know, we is it like a predestined role well, for that a we, portion of to some degree we don't think like in a certain countercultural community mm-hmm. we don't think it's cool. Those that thing is other, you yeah. know, and we act and, and we think that we are being rebellious by spending all the money we have on some product like Budweiser or PBR, right. you know, and we think you're being cool and punk rock, but you're actually just apply you know assigning a demographic to yourself in which you have no power and no security and you're but you're feeding somebody else's pockets all the time no i think that's i think that's absolutely true but my thing not to be fucking pollyanna but mm -hmm. if that's what you love then kind of who cares right right unless you're like going to live off the grid and you're making your own version of budweiser and you're growing your own food and blah 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 solar panel everything you're constantly giving money to people who are wealthier than you yeah. and encouraging their wealth mm-hmm. that's just a consequence of capitalism and you know and being but American. you can do what discord did and you can say you can. we're going to make all this shit ourselves we're mm-hmm. going to hand make the fucking jackets we're going to yep do our own tours we're never going to let anybody charge more than five dollars yep i read i you know most of what i know about that i read from that book um our band could be your life yeah yeah you yeah know? Yep. Or it's funny. I'm thinking of it, our brand could be your life. Yeah, no you know? shit. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, they. I mean, they really did create a brand, and they, they built a lot of trust around that. And like, you know, yep. this is who we are, and this is what we do. And and that's like a, you know, that's to me like really the future. Even if you are a giant corporation, you need to do that because look, I mean, Dominion could legally dump that coal ash in the yeah. river, but it was terrible for them to fucking even consider doing it yep. for their brand. And like, yeah. it really damaged the shit out of like how people see them. And absolutely, you know, and and that perception that that stuff's powerful, even though they are so much more powerful than we are individually. Absolutely, what people think of you matters a whole fucking lot these days. Yeah, man, like, it does. I mean, I was um, hanging out with John Goldberg the other day, and we were talking a lot about brand and um and the importance of that obviously is that being something that's what he does right, you know, right he thinks about that in a far different headspace than i do he's far far smarter than i am but you know a lot of that conversation about the the importance of brand if you're fucking discord mm-hmm. or if you're massy energy 
if you're trying to sell something to somebody and you're not just trying to do it in your tiny little hovel that maybe people just stumble into, you've got to be really concerned about that public yeah. perception and that is brand. Mm-hmm. You, know? you have to be concerned about it no matter what you're doing. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> even as a human being, you know, as you go to work, there is the freedom of like, I'm going to be myself. I'm going to do it. I want to do, but you better recognize that what you're putting out there is going to impact your livelihood. It's going to impact how the fuck you get along. Absolutely, and, man. You know. We say that to, to mostly cooks. doesn't mm-hmm. have my servers as much, but like, if you want to go get blackout drunk and fight somebody, you need to leave this fucking town mm-hmm. because everybody knows that you work in one of our restaurants. Mm-hmm. We're not shitty people. We expect you to not be shitty people. Right. And that is your brand mm-hmm. as an extension of ours. Yeah. You know? Yep. And luckily, most of them are pretty good guys, and they don't do that. But I'm like, you know, it's a really important thing to recognize. And there's this really fine line. I mean, of, about being, you know, being yourself. Not you don't construct yourself for public consumption, but you Correct. are aware of the fucking, you know, where your your boundaries are. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's, that, like, it's that whole thing about you know about rights and civil rights. You know, mm-hmm. like your right to be to throw a punch ends at that other person's nose that's right that's right? my favorite way of saying that yeah I my mean, right to swing my arm stops where your face starts yeah that's exactly right <laughs> so yeah you can be whoever you want to be as long as it's not negatively impacting those around mm-hmm. you and if you're doing that then you're just a dick yeah you're donald trump you're some fucking you're you're, you're everything that you supposedly hate about corporate mm-hmm. america or mm-hmm. whatever it is your political leanings you're that person because you're concerned you're self-concerned just ruined everybody else's day. selfishness yeah absolutely yeah we we there is no i mean ultimately and i've experienced this like i i was a very selfish person that couldn't be relied on and counted on you know and and like i would say that i was something else right and i would attempt to put on a face so i could get what i needed or wanted for a period of time right but that wasn't authentically who i was i was actually a very selfish kind of hustler type person right sure and that wasn't how i was raised to be but like somewhere along the way i you know sort of defaulted to sure. some kind of thing because i fucked up a lot yeah and then when i had to start over again and actually show up and punch a clock and make eight bucks an hour i started to recognize how imp- if i wanted to get out of here that i had to do shit really differently and it had to be for real because yeah. There's, you know, if you're trying to hold a shape that ain't natural, you're going to slip. You Absolutely. Know? So, like, you're gonna... Well, back to authenticity, right? Yeah, You've yeah. got to find your best authentic self. But mm-hmm. you, yeah, I mean, you, you can't not be you or you're going to continue to fuck up. I mean, you know, that's that's like, you know, rehabby mental health 101. Well, yes. And I know? got it. <laughs> I right? got it in rehab. Right. But I mean, but that's, you know, any sort of mental health thing. I mean, mm-hmm. it's all about that. Like, you, you know the more that you try and be something that you're not, the more you're going to fuck up and you're Mm going to continue whatever that bad practice is, that Mm -hmm. unhealthy practice. So you have to be authentic, but yeah, I mean, you know, there's that whole idea of like the, the 18 year old punk rock kid that success is somehow failure. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's what gets you where you need to be when you're that age. But at some point, you know, I'm not ever going to go for success off of the backs of other people. Right. You're not going to exploit people to get there. Fuck right? no. It's not, right. you know, it's, that's nothing I would ever do. And that's not um, that's synonymous with being in business and successful. There yeah. is a right way, a mindful way, a positive way, a constructive, you know, cross-pollinating way to do right. it. And and there's a selfish, shitty way to do it. And you could be a yep. selfish, shitty guy with nothing, and you could be a selfish, shitty, rich guy. But, you know, like... Right. Absolutely. Really... It doesn't change self, selfish and shitty. But, you know, I, that... that period of my life of thinking that success was something other than is, is completely gone. You know, mm. I mean, I don't care about wealth, but if somebody wanted to drop some money on me, mm. I'm happy to take it. Yeah. You know, I love that people want to come in and spend money at the restaurants and 
You're on line of spice, perhaps, with your face on it like Paul Prudhomme. Yeah, fuck. Yeah, I just need to get a fat guy hat and get rid of the trucker hat and get a fat guy hat. No, you get to keep the trucker hat because that's, uh, that's that is now? the new chef hat. Right, so. exactly. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, it's exciting that people want to come buy shit from us. Mm-hmm. But our responsibility as responsible business owners is to make sure that what they're buying has real value. Yeah. You know, if we don't, and you're not trying to pull something over on somebody. Fuck no. You're right. Right. Nope. We're not labeling shit as something that it's not. We're, I mean, we're right. pretty, we're, we're up front. And most restaurants are. I mean, this yeah. is a, there's some bad eggs. It's a small town and people will, Fucking you know. A. Yeah. Which is awesome in some ways. But. I mean, that's another thing too, is that my, my ex-girlfriend from like a year ago was driving for Napoleon. And she was talking about the people that got in her cabs who would be talking shit about the restaurants that yeah. they worked in and how yeah. shitty like the product was and how they were being told to serve this stuff that was like, you know, and they're just back there, you know, and that shit gets out, you know, yeah, man. Like, you, you think you think you're fooling somebody, you can't fool anybody like, no. and especially if you're shitty to your staff and your kitchen staff, they're going to destroy yeah. you like going Absolutely. out there talking about that. Absolutely. You know? And, you know, our, our fucking goal our like one goal is to make sure that we never create an environment where that would even be a thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that they would hate it enough. I mean, people Dude, people bitch about their jobs. That's right. what they there's do. Not, there's not much you can do about right. No. Well, I just always ask the guys very candidly. I'm like, do me a favor. I know you're going to bitch about me. I know you're going to bitch about work. That's what happens. Totally understand. Just don't do it here because I don't want you to poison anybody right. who right. isn't wanting to bitch. I'm like, and if you do it at somebody else's place, just be quiet about it. Mm-hmm. You know, don't sit at the bar talking to the bartender about how much you hate your job. Go mm-hmm. sit in a booth. And if you hate your job, think about something else. Yeah. You know, let's, let's yeah, start with that. It really that, is but, like hurting cats there because i mean uh, people who are dishwashing are generally disgruntled about their life in general and i've been there and yeah. like you're gonna yeah you know, I stopped somebody's washing coming back to you bringing a plate back with a speck of something on it and you know uh-huh. <laughs> well i mean you know i you know like i said i started off as a dishwasher and the other day i went fucking bananas because like the eighth disgusting plate that i saw i'm like I promise you this is going to work out really poorly. And I was getting really hot and I was like, okay, I need to step the fuck away. Cause you know, these poor kids, man, I mean, mm-hmm. their, their aspiration in life is not to wash dishes yeah. in my restaurant. Right. Yeah. But I had to have my chef to cuisine, go back and talk to him when I found the next one. I'm like, you're not as mad as I am right now. So you need to go explain to them like how wrong this is. Yeah. Cause I don't want to lose my and shit. If you can't fucking wash the dishes, right. You don't deserve to do anything else. You don't. You know, you don't, I mean, that's the whole jam, right? You know, mm-hmm. we talk about that a lot with people who are like, you know, people who bitch about money or they haven't had a raise in so long or whatever. And you're like, man, that's not the way to do it. The way to do it is you be fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. You kill it and you be positive. And, um, but yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Like and you I'm can't, fucking... you can't become a prep cook if you can't clean the plate. Yeah. I mean, it's just like anything in life. And I'm fucking here to tell you, man, I, cause I didn't necessarily believe in that. I, I, you know, I, I sort of thought up until I was about 38, 39 years old, that that's just some bullshit. Somebody who's on top feeds you so they can stay on top. But I did it and I came, you know, from eight bucks an hour cashiering at restaurant Depot to where I am now. And I'm not going to talk about the numbers, but right. it's, you know, it's significantly more than more eight than, bucks an hour. Yeah. And like, yeah. and that is because I got legitimately interested in Correct. the fucking business and I did the best job I could when I was there and I give, gave a shit when people said I wasn't doing a good job and instead of like making that personal I just tried to do a better job right and like I tried to and people noticed that stuff and they were willing to give me the things that I asked for and when I put my name forward for something they went yeah that's a good idea right you know well that's the whole that's the whole thing you know it, you want to make sure that you're working for a company whatever that your business is where that stuff is valued 
Um, cause it's mm-hmm. not always, I mean, there are places where if you're a dishwasher, you're a fucking dishwasher. Yeah. If you're a cashier, yeah. you're a cashier and that's just what it is, period. So you want to find those jobs where people do look to promote from within. But I mean, that stuff is uh, like, it's other than that, if you get in that position, then it's a hundred percent on you to make your life what you want your life mm-hmm. to be. Nobody else can do it for you. You never fucking mm-hmm. know though, man. I mean, even like at a place that it doesn't seem like there's any possibility when you're doing, you're doing it as if there is things fucking yeah. open up Yeah. and it may not be there. You know, Correct. It, like somebody might come to visit the place that you're working and see you busting your ass and like talk to you on a daily basis because you're there unloading a pallet or something. And right. they go, hey, I want to hire you. You know, I like your style. Absolutely. You man. Know? Absolutely. I mean, it, you know, we often say that, you know, a lot of our success is just luck, you know, and you and you can argue that one makes one's own luck. And in a lot of ways, I think you do. Right. So if you're not if you're not positioned with yourself where people can recognize excellence, recognize work ethic, all those things, then you're not going to get the breaks. Mm -hmm. Um, And you may be that person. You may not get a break anyway. You may be working like a fucking animal and Mm -hmm. just killing it. And maybe you're not going to get a break. Well, you don't get to decide when that happens. You don't, but you have to position yourself to be able to accept it. Exactly. If you're like, if you're, here's a stupid metaphor. If you're in the fucking ocean and you want to surf and you're not even on the surfboard when the wave comes and you're not going to fucking catch the wave. wave. So like, you've got to keep practicing being, you know, being on the board, paddling out all that kind of shit. And then you can take advantage of something, but it happens. But if you're like, the wave's not coming fast enough, everybody else is getting better waves than me. Right. You know, my board kind of sucks. It's not the right. It's not the right, right. brand. So yeah, I it's can't not really new do enough. It. Right. right. Yeah. And and man, I mean, I don't know. Like I, I really, it changed my fucking life so much to recognize that. I just want that for other people. I don't mean to sound yeah. like Bill O'Reilly here and some conservative, but like <laughs> right. I came from people who were blue collar. My grandfather grew up on a farm, didn't finish high school, built mm-hmm. every, learned a whole bunch of trades, built everything himself, built him, built houses, bought property when nobody wanted it built houses on that property himself, building the shit at night when he was plumbing during right. the day. And you can still do that shit. You can. It's a fucking, it's hard work. Yeah. You know, and, but you definitely aren't going to end up with a house or any of that shit if all you do is bitch about how much easier it is for other people to get that shit. No, absolutely. And, mm-hmm. and there are people that it's easier for and there are people that it's harder for. Um, and you know what? Sometimes, sometimes people just have shit luck, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it never, it never works for somebody, mm-hmm. even though they're trying to be positive. I mean, that's just kind of the unfortunate you, but way. But you of don't nature, know but... when the fuck the end of that story is. That's, that's the exactly thing. Right. Is that's that Indian story, you know, like the kid's old enough to go out on his first hunting party and he goes to ride his pony and he breaks his leg and and uh, everybody says, oh, that's bad luck. And he says, well, maybe. And then the entire hunting party is slaughtered, you know, right. and they were like, that's good luck. <laughs> he right. says, well, maybe. And it's constantly <laughs> fucking slipping, uh, flipping right. until you're six feet under. And right. you never get to say what's good luck or bad luck. It's no. a constant goddamn, I mean. Like, that's all I can say for sure is that I've had plenty of fucking ups and downs and truly a lot of them were of my own making. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but still, like, you never know when the end of the fucking story is. The only thing is you can defeat yourself by, you know, losing engagement and losing Absolutely. hope to be involved And in that's it. just life shit, man. That's not just business stuff. That's just life stuff, you know? I mean... Like you say, if you're not life, always striving to be better... Business is life and life is business. Yeah. There's no wall between those nope. things. If you're trying to be better... You have an opportunity to be better. If you're not, you got no shot. That's right. And yeah. so to, to this point, which I've been trying to get to for a little while, you were talking about John the other day, the fucking rocket bus going down Broad Street, you know. The fucking rocket bus. <laughs> like, 
I mean, to me, it seems like whether or not, I mean, I, I know that the reason that that that's even happening is the federal government is giving out grants for mass transit, mm-hmm. and it doesn't really apply to Richmond. They're trying yeah. to build light rail and, you know, give people money for light rail. The closest we can get is this stupid bus that, we you know, and really would be better if we would just beef up our existing bus system, but you can't use maybe, the grant for maybe, that. Maybe bike lanes that actually work. Right. Yeah. But so they're just getting this money, and they're probably not going to spend all of this money on the fucking rocket bus. Actually, I think that the problem is that they're going to spend all of that money on the rocket bus plus a lot of city tax revenue. Yeah, they should be spent on something else. Plus, they're going to fuck with the revenue because they're going to fuck with business down there yeah. like, while it's going on. I'm a little anxious about it, you yeah. know. Um, that's putting it very politically. Mm-hmm. Um Get Frank, dude. It's I mean, it's it's gonna be a fucking it's gonna be a disaster, at least temporarily. My concern is that whether it ends up eventually becoming a net positive for the city, which I freely admit could be a thing, the risk that they're running is what is that fucking face gonna be? Mm-hmm. I mean, are our faces? Is Marty still gonna be able to sell records down there while they're right. fucking tearing up the median strip and? Interrupting all traffic. Yeah, on the Broad construction Street. part mm-hmm. of it is is absolutely the worst part of it. Once yes. the goddamn bus is there, who cares? But the there's, period. There's alert... some there's some things that you know that people are rightfully complaining about, like difficulty of pedestrian traffic crossing the street, difficulty of right. pushing traffic towards the curb lane and making it a little bit sketchier, not as pedestrian friendly in general. Right. Which is really antithetical to the whole idea of mass transit. You know, right. you want pedestrian, you want bike, right. you want all these things that are not individuals in cars. So there are some concerns for that, but the major concern is the construction, you know? I mean, oh shit, I'm knocking the mic around. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, if it's done, in, if if our area in front of us is done in two weeks, we're fine. If it's all fucked up for three months, I mean, we're small well, business. Uh, we can't, I, I mean, we can't take it. I was living in Minneapolis, I mean, in St. Paul, when they put back the light rail that ran down their version of Broad Street, which right. is University Avenue from downtown St. Paul to downtown Minneapolis. Right. And that would the actual train would be great to get people between St. Paul and Minneapolis, but all of the little businesses along there, like had you had to, not only was their streets closed, their construction equipment every fucking where there, there's orange fucking fences, big piles of dirt, you know, yep. you're that shit's in the way. Your yep. your usual street view is of a goddamn ditch and a bunch of a construction equipment, like all the stuff. standing and, around looking at each other. And yeah, and you yeah. can't cross the, that street anywhere except. I mean, there's it's Snelling for would be their version of like Belvedere, right? You know, and yeah, maybe you could go up and down Belvedere, but you can't go up and down any of those side streets. Monroe, Madison. Yep. None of Adams. Not forget it. You know, that's yep. all off the table, Fushi, you know, <laughs> it's a and, little, it's fucking scary, man. And, you know, not to, I mean, I love this town. This town has been great to me, but I think that the part that makes me the most anxious is that. So the bike race happens. Richmond for all of its loveliness loves nothing fucking more than to bitch about Richmond. Yeah. And how everything's a disaster and how nothing is ever going to work. And I try really hard not to be that person. This fucking rocket bus thing is, <laughs> is different. Um, but everybody who lives in the greater Mich- Richmond area, we've got this amazing thing happening. We've got people from all over the fucking world hanging out, walking around. And yes, not with a density that they thought it was going to be at the beginning right. of the week, but it's still happening right, and cool right. shit's going on. Nobody that lives here came to town. 
Yeah. They stayed away for fucking 14 days. Yeah. So those motherfuckers that wouldn't come see something awesome, like the biggest bike race in the world. Right. Are going to come down to Broad Street when it's all ripped up and fucked up. Right. They're going to be like, man, Broad Street's a disaster. Just Don't easier. even bother going yeah. downtown. Don't go downtown. So that's that's my concern more than any sort of like like city government failure, VDOT failure. I'm always concerned about that. I mean, well, these things are human endeavors and they get fucked up. Well, but the my fuck concern is thing... with the citizenry. Like, I don't think yeah. that they're going to support the businesses when it's because it's already a little challenging down there. You know, mm-hmm. you're trying to park around Jefferson and Broad. Yeah, it can take some time. So if it becomes any more difficult, that's my concern is that people are just going to be like, fuck. Oh, man. I'm going to Vagabond for my birthday tonight. And, oh, nice. Uh, and I've decided to take an Uber rather than fuck with that, try to park. You yeah. Know? It's just like the valet, you know, that's the valet in reverse, you know, yeah, just yeah, take yeah. a $5 Uber from Churchill and fuck yeah, absolutely. you're there, you know. Absolutely. So that is a thing that, that people can do. I feel so fucking powerless about this and I wish I had a bigger microphone. I'm because... actually supposed to talk to Charles Samuels today well you know one thing that would be an interesting thing to point out is that a person like in order for the real base to exist in the city so that we don't have to get these federal grants and try to misuse them is for businesses to, individual businesses to be able to form little anthills yeah and you can't keep dropping bricks on the fucking anthills that's my favorite metaphor is yeah you know in, in individual entrepreneurs are going to what's going to rebuild richmond not gigantic fucking civic projects right you know? now if we could get a target a downtown yeah. that would be a massive thing that would be a big change but in general what do you think like point, a target the, in the old miller and roads that'd be kind of cool like <laughs> or what, where i call now that's a hotel but, yeah, yeah where i call uh, little detroit that section from basically in between pasture to comfort you yeah know, it's a little rough there um i think it'd be great but to your point they're not going to do that unless enough small entrepreneurs go right. in open business they need the they reverse the thing they don't want it to be the anchor store for the other business they want the other businesses to come in and anchor them and because <laughs> they're like why would we do that and, you know we can open in suburban wherever and it, that's our model and it works and they've got an yeah. urban model but you know i'm not if pro. they made a nice target down there there was like a department store like a, a macy's i mean people would use that shit there's plenty shit, of people yeah. that live around there that would i go. mean people have to leave you know people have to leave their downtown living neighborhoods to buy shit yeah. So that's a, that's an issue, but um, yeah, I mean, it we'll, almost seems we'll like see. pissing in the wind talking about it on this podcast. Yeah, I know, I know, it really is. I mean, because my big I'm thing preaching is, to the choir. My anyway. big thing is about schools, and not just because I have you know three kids. Um, education is obviously important for all the reasons that education is mm-hmm. important. But what I just don't understand that the city can't get their head behind is that from a fiscal viewpoint, we lose tax base every year and it kind of rotates in and out right you got new people coming in that don't have kids and then you have people whose kids hit middle school age you know mid elementary school and they fucking haul ass to the suburbs so we lose a chunk of tax base so instead of actually increasing population dramatically and increasing the tax base that's here to support all of these things we lose them this is the the thing that and i and i think that those of us who enjoy the affordable funky aspect of everything between like um I don't know, uh, Thompson and Churchill, Yeah, is that, that the city is this landlocked 
economic system. It doesn't get any money from Chesterfield and Henrico, mm-hmm. which is where all the money is. Mm-hmm. And this city is full of poor people that don't pay any fucking taxes that are that need, that are going using all of these services because they for need free. Them. Yes, they need them. They absolutely need to have access to them. They should have them. The only way that we can get enough money in the city to support all of those people is to let some yuppies into the city and to welcome them and to, you know to basically kind of welcome some of this gentrification and say like yes you want the dude who you know is right now living in Windsor Farms to buy a fucking house on Monument so that his personal property taxes are going into those coffers that can improve the schools absolutely you know there's no fucking way to do it without that that happening yeah. except what well, we just keep going to the federal government and asking for it no we gotta no we just keep having severely underfunded schools and right. severely you underpaid teachers you can't have a poor like center city and, and maintain that poverty without the influx of capital you yeah. know <laughs> like in taxes yeah. so and but I that's, don't but think that's the thing it's so much of so much of that is based around schools because mm-hmm. people love to they don't want to go to the schools and yeah. fuck no man i mean our kids just started public school this year they're at benford middle and um it's fine but it's not great man and that's like the school that they're trying to push to be a model for every right. other middle school in right. town and you know it's it's underfunded it's like shit. The, the, it's boiling hot in right. rooms. It's freezing cold in rooms. Right. It's chicken it's patty sandwiches for lunch every day. It's the least of all of those schools. Yes, <laughs> it's the least shitty. And to be the, the capital of the Commonwealth, to be this like sort of vibrant, hip, young city, like, you know, they're all, you hear the, the sort of need to attract millennials constantly. That's this right. constant conversation. Right. Like those motherfuckers turn into parents mm-hmm. that have kids. Mm-hmm. Don't you want them to stay? I mean, at the end yeah. of the day, you want people to relocate here, be productive, pay taxes, build a better city. And you know, but... the fucked up thing is I went, I mean, my parents were in this neighborhood in 1970, right. actually before that, 1969, they bought their house in 1972 on 28th and Gray Street. Mm-hmm. And at that time, Bellevue was, um, it was a model school, but it wasn't open because it had a fire. So I started, my first day of kindergarten was at, at Bowler over here, which is now an old folks home. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, next door to the Roosevelt. And um, Churchill is a very different place. Yeah. Then. And, like, I walked from what... And, and there was no rich part of Churchill in 1970, okay? No. There was, like... there, But there were people from middle-class backgrounds that had moved in there and brought that culture or whatever. Sure. But it, the money differences weren't big. There weren't, you know, like, safe enclaves. There was no safe place. Sure. And... I walked to school the first day past dead dogs and all kinds of fucked up shit. I remember this distinctly. First sure. day of kindergarten, traumatic dead dog on the way to school. And then I got to that school and it was a fucking, it was like, um, it, the school looked like a refugee ship that was taking off from like <laughs> Vietnam after like when an airlift right. was happening. Like right. people were, it's, it literally, literally looked like people were pouring out of the windows and the doors and it was completely strong. It was overcrowded. It was insane. Jesus. And my, and I, I mean, my first day of school, I made it through about half the day and the, and the yelling and the teacher and all the other kids and all that shit was really traumatic. And I, yeah, they go home. And um, but I went back. My mother sent me back, and I had a different teacher and a little bit like a, a more soft-spoken lady sure. that they found in there. And I made it through six through the sixth grade, you know, or fifth grade at Bellevue after it reopened. And then I went to Henderson for three years. And all that time, it was about like surviving a socioeconomic situation 
and yep. very little about an education. Yeah. You know, like like you were really struggling every day to like deal with the fucking other kids and deal with all of this. And you know? that's what my kids are going through now, too. And, you know, I want it to be a great experience for everybody's fucking kids. Um, obviously, I like mine more because mm-hmm. they're mine. Um, but that's, you know, that's well, yeah. the that's I mean, the If you issue. come to the fucking school and say, hey, my kid got this treatment today from either a student or a teacher they just say you know you all don't really have the kinds of problems that the other people hear that was a legitimate line from fucking sure. teachers and principals well the like, principal principal ricky who's mm-hmm. a very awesome woman she's shit she's not our age even she's super young really really cool really nice we actually had some issues that we had to meet with her about with mm-hmm. our kids and i mean crazy responsive yeah you know like one of tilly's teachers my daughter's teachers like like all this Jesus talk in the classroom. I'm like, mm. not really keen on that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And she was like, Oh my God. And she's like, yep. Nope. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's actually that's, illegal. I that, guess. Yeah. She's right? like, well, I'll talk to him about that right Can't now. Can't even but, say the fucking pledge of allegiance. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> right. But she's really <clears throat> responsive, you know, because they are trying to make that school a place where kids from all over the city and from all socioeconomic backgrounds can come together and actually learn some shit. Um, how novel. Yeah, right? that you can actually take kids mm-hmm. that live in a city and they can learn. Well, something. I, you know, and, and I'm making it sound like it's it was such a I mean, it was a fucking traumatic experience and was very sure. difficult. It was also very valuable and necessary. But it definitely got to the point where my father was like, I'm going to have to pay for something that I don't want to pay for and send you to private school for high school because this shit ain't working. Right. You know, and like it's got to work if people are going to stay in the city. And it, we did stay it. in the city as far as like being property owners and all that kind of shit but but my sister and i and everyone else in the neighborhood that you know had a choice and had privilege right you know went the fuck somewhere else for high school yeah you know um unless you could get into open or community you know it was just this isn't this this is a losing proposition i mean it's like I mean, it's fucked up because in order to fix the reality, you really have to address the reality. Yeah. And my reality as a white kid in those schools was it was like being in the prison cafeteria. <laughs> right. You know, right. I'm not fucking exaggerating. Yeah. Like kids took your fucking lunch. Yeah. They stuck their finger in your cake. They, you know, that you were bullied like by guys that were really too old to be oh, in yeah. the eighth grade. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and like that has to be addressed and that not be a racist thing to say that there's a serious peril, no matter how liberal and, and we are, and I am a liberal, right. no matter how much you want to ante up and put your kids into that machine, it's a, it's a fucking ass whipping. And it's, yeah. <laughs> you Norborn's know. Only, Norborn's only been slapped once. No, only once. Uh-huh. Um, and Tilly, I think, is only fucking bald in class once. So it's not bad. It could mm. be worse. Um, when that's like kind of good, that's fucked up. Yeah. But you know that's the reality. And I mean, I went to school in rural fucking nowhere. We had one high school for the entire county. We had two middle schools for the county and one fucking high school. Rural, rural, rural. Not diverse at all. Very, very white. Well, same shit there. You know. Because it's a, it's a socioeconomic thing, not a race thing. Yeah. So it's the poor, right. redneck, mean motherfuckers. Well, we can't even talk you know? about that. You know, if we really we need to break down the problem that there is a caste system and class yeah. issues in this country. Absolutely. And it's not really – there are elements of it that you can absolutely trace to being about 
race. But to fix it, it actually can be fixed with a working model of the people who are disenfranchised and poor, regardless of what color they are, need to be enfranchised and educated and brought in, and then you won't have these problems. But at the same time, you can't... Or less, because race is still still a real concern. Right. Obviously, the Trump shit that's... Well, poor white and poor black suffer a lot of the same shit. Yeah. Except that when you're black, you also have to deal with the race issue. Right. Right. And it is right. different, you know, and, right. and we can sit here and expound upon it all day long being fucking right. white dudes, but there is a difference, you know, but, and, and but look, until to, the to clarify, education, we're and not can... saying that, I mean, I'm not saying, and you're not saying that we know exactly what that's like, but as Shit, citizens man. of the fucking country that are trying to coordinate a, a life that is integrated yeah. with that, it, you know, you do have to say there is are serious problems and serious perils that you, you, yeah. know, you face if Big you time. do want to be involved, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, it really is so much of that's about socioeconomic stuff. So when you're in a, when you're in a public school environment, you're always going to have assholes. It's always going right. to be challenging, but it needs to be like, it should just be in the fucking cafeteria, for example. Like, you shouldn't have to worry about kids getting up in class and getting in your shit and screaming right, at you. Right, Lunch, Lunch is like the fucking Wild West. Yeah. Right? Maybe that is part of just how you, as Darwinian, like, you yeah, know, find, I think your, it's very much like find that. your legs. And well, and you can that. only have so the many. playground and the lunchroom. Yeah, yeah. exactly, because you can only have so many grown-ups per kid. But the schools need to be good enough that kids, when they're in their classroom environment, that it's calm enough. And encouraging enough that they can actually learn. That's a good point. Like I, I'm sitting here just, and obviously I'm still fucking traumatized by my experiences. Right. And this is t- like a long time ago, and from what I understand, it hasn't changed very much. No. You know, since then. And you're you brought up the very important points of like just the infrastructure of the schools, like the you know the fact that these classrooms are physically uncomfortable and underfunded and all of that kind of shit contributes to this issue. Goddamn right. Know? And if like, you're uncomfortable. The one thing that the city has gotten together is the schools have free breakfast, free lunch, and not with your card. Like, when I was a kid, we had the free lunch card. Right, And right. it was just the most fucking embarrassing, horrible shit. Right. You go through line, you hand somebody a punch card. Yep. My stepmother started teaching at the high school where I was at, and although we would still qualify for free lunch, we didn't do it because it was too the embarrassing yeah. for her. But it was mm-hmm. the worst as a kid having to do that shit. So the schools now, everybody eats for free. Which is maybe the greatest fucking thing that mm-hmm. that the city has done for schools. Yeah. It's amazing. It's still garbage food. Yeah. Which I would like to be able to contribute and help fix a little bit. But but that's awesome, right? So mm-hmm. so you're trying to tackle the whole you can't learn if you're hungry thing. Right. You can't learn if you're sweating like a fucking animal. You can't learn if you're shivering in a coat. And you also shouldn't. I mean, this is almost like the uniform model. You sh- you you can't learn if you're insecure about like your status among your fellow students you know like any of those insecurities and any of that discomfort creates these environments where people lash out Mm -hmm. and it's i mean you know it's been happening for as long as this model has been the case yeah and there are a lot of really smart people out there you'd think they would be able to figure this shit out You, you would and i think it's because the um when you're a politician and and I, and I'm just theorizing here and and by the way I'd like to say this kind of conversation it really needs to happen more often between lots of different people because for instance I come into it with certain amount of bitterness and trauma sure. and then as we have the conversation I start to like realize where where the actual reasonable factual shit is in the midst of what I'm 
upset right. not just, about not just your gut response right and emotion. then i yeah. back up off of that and, and yeah. like be mindful and say wait a minute you know there's a lot more to this issue and you, you know the the problem of like yes this is a is a end result of a socioeconomic situation mm-hmm. which most of the time we say we just need to fix the socioeconomic situation and then that other problem will work out but meanwhile you do still have to address the problem that is that's happening and yep. the and address the root cause yep. so it can't be just you just make excuse for the kids that are acting out because you know where they came from yet you do have to have compassion for those kids but you have to stop those kids arm swinging hitting somebody else's face correct you know well i mean real compassion comes from that right real compassion comes from trying to make whatever kid who's having issues um not feel like that right right not feel like they have to be screaming just to have their voice heard not to feel like they've got to punch somebody because that's all they know because that's how dad shows his version of affection Mm -hmm. which is Mm -hmm. fucking hate and anger Mm -hmm. you want those kids to be better so you, you have to fix unfortunately it's almost like a cold right like you can't always cure a cold, but you can right. treat symptoms. You can, treat the, you, you can feel right. a little bit better, right? So well, the symptoms are actually the immune response to the thing, right? You know, right? So there you go. There, to extend the metaphor even not- further, right? <laughs> but that's but that's the truth, right? So you know, you you can't in a year fix what has been a, a fucking caste system since the beginning of this experiment right. that's the United States. That you also happen. can't expect to fix that before you can have some real change that protects people and makes people so you, safe so now. So you do you have know? to deal with the symptoms first. Right. You know, which is right. challenging too, but I mean, it needs it's to happen. It's not a thing that, I mean, I try to have these kinds of, I try to introduce these viewpoints on Facebook Yeah. and it turns into a, a motherfucking nightmare for me yeah. where, you know, not, I can't even have like this kind of a conversation. I get, I'm fending off personal attacks, you right. know, of course. And then I get my feelings seriously hurt. I don't want to talk about it anymore, right. but yet I have been in this mix for, you know, my whole life. I'm 46 years old and yeah. I've observed things today. That... Happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Um, and well, anyway, this is a great conversation. And the, th- I think the thing is, the politicians aren't at the grassroots level with everyone, and they're not engaged in the day to day. And but yet they have a resume, and they want to pad that resume, and they want to put feathers in their caps and all that kind of stuff. And when you're sitting where they are, then you want to inst- you want to take federal money, and you want to do a program, and you want to like fix this with a lot of fanfare and banners and hoopla and and, and, and probably somewhere inside them thinking that they're actually doing something right. that's beneficial for people who need the help, whether it's going to be or not. I mean, I, I don't think that they're, I don't think that they're all complete, like, like shadows of human beings. You know, they're, I mean, I believe that most of the time people are, when they vote the politician city council, when they vote for this, I do think that often, at least they're doing what they think is right. Yeah. Sometimes they're voting for their own self-interest and it's hard not to do that. But, but once, but it, at a certain point, right gets to be, I'm sorry. No, that's exactly that's exactly what I was going to say. It's fixing a fucking mistake they made yep. previously, and that's where we're at now. Is Correct. that Dwight Jones and all those people have they fucked up a bunch of shit, and now they're in a situation where they need to like basically, it's like the dude in in um, Fargo, you know, like deciding to kidnap his own fucking wife to come up with the money to pay off the money that he misappropriated. Right. From, like, it is. You know? It is. That's so now that shit. after fucking up the budget so badly, now they're making really bad decisions in order to cover this shit that is so fucked up. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, you know, back to the school thing a little bit, you know, we can't send our kids to school in our district. Our kids would right. never survive 
MLK Middle School. Right. And they wouldn't, more importantly, they just wouldn't learn. It's not an environment where kids can learn. And then it seems like every day they've put up a new fucking traffic circle, which I don't know what they cost, but I mean, what are they? Are they fucking $60,000 to tear that shit up, pay people, build, plant, all this stuff for no good reason. I'm like, if you could take these eight new traffic circles and put that money into Chimborazo Elementary School, that would be rad. I think... And, and if you're going to take the money that you're going to have to put towards a bus and put it in schools, I, and like, that would be Here's rad. the thing that has been, as far as I know, because I used to work for the city and a window opened and I don't want... I used to work for the city. I worked for Rec and Parks for about four years during and after college. Mm-hmm. And my friend, my best friend's dad um, worked at City Hall right. and worked in Rec and Parks. And what I saw and what he talked about going on over and over again is, okay, so the city of Richmond has pretty light coffers, you know, it's pulling from a few property owners proportionately, not very many, Mm -hmm. especially then because there's a whole lot of people living in government housing. So that's not to stain them at all. They're just not contributing to the you know, the tax base. Right. So city of Richmond only has this much money to spend. So it's constantly trying to figure out how to take advantage of federal programs that the federal government has said, Hey, if you do this, we'll give you a grant of this much money. This has been put through in, in the, you know, maybe on the state level and the federal right. level. So figure out a way to make use of it. It's for this. You can't use it for that. You know, that's it's, exactly right. Right. You know, you can put traffic circles and bike lanes in because we have a nationwide initiative to get people riding bicycles. Correct. We'll give you money for that. You cannot use it for your schools, you know. Right. And, Which and, and and I know that and I know that I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that you can put that money into schools. But when you're driving past the school that's four blocks from your house around a traffic circle yeah. to take them to another school that's only slightly better. It's fucking frustrating. It is. And I know the monies mm-hmm. don't work that way. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not particularly well, I'm politically not saying, savvy. I wasn't but... trying to lecture you either no, 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 about no, no, that. No, 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 but know, you're right. Like... But the, the rocket bus is a great example of that. Yeah. Like, wouldn't it be great to get fucking a bunch of millions of dollars from the federal government for schools, but they don't have that in place? Well, do you watch um, The Nick at all on Cinemax? Have you ever seen that show? Mm-hmm. There's a guy I, who's... I ain't got the cable. So. He, uh, well, I, st- <laughs> I steal it. He's <laughs> grifting the money for the hospital by... Taking the majority, all this money has been donated to build this hospital, and then he's finding the people who will do it the cheapest, so that there is a surplus that he's lining his pockets with. So that's a Bold thing. Move. That that's a thing. That's yeah. like the that's probably what's going on here is that the federal government gives you a million dollars to do this thing, and then you figure out a way to do it for five hundred thousand, and then you have another hundred thousand to fix the fucked up shit that like. You, right, you know, is going to get you put in jail or whatever, right. you know, or or pay your salaries or make you know whatever. And like this is the constant thing. And at some point, I think I don't know who it's going to be. We need some kind of le- leadership in the city that says, no, we need to internally fix the conditions that mean that we don't have enough money in this city. Correct. And a lot of that is not fucking with guys like you that have come into the city to open a business. We you know? we collect a lot of taxes for yeah. the city and state. Mm-hmm. A lot between the two. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, yeah, it would be nice to not have to worry about this shit. But, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, everybody will muscle through. But we're, I'm really hoping to see some some changes on council and with the mayor and people who really understand the importance of the schools, the importance of creating and de- developing and maintaining a tax base so that mm-hmm. we can become, I mean, this city is positioned to be fucking rad, right? Mm-hmm. 
Location is great. It's beautiful town. Good bones. It's great Chris bones. Said. Yeah, mm-hmm. man. Great bones. There's still plenty of uh, of inventory, like architectural inventory, left for people to move into and rehab. We're positioned to Lots be Lots of great. property. It's Tons. on a river. If the enti- if we went into a post-apocalyptic world, we could go back to the uh, eight, uh, 17th century, 18th century, you yeah. know, and we could farm and we could use the river and all that stuff. You know, we could actually ride some shit out in yeah, the city. Absolutely. You know? It's a great fucking town in so many ways. So, you know, I just would like for Richmond to see itself as that, as mm-hmm. opposed to constantly bitching about itself. Yeah. And to have the, the, the city government take it that seriously as well, like, you know. We're positioned to be rad, and we're better, a lot better than we were even ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but and we, that thing, that thing of of talking shit on Richmond, uh, especially amongst our peers, you yeah. know, that really has changed a lot. I mean, it has. You know, I mean, I remember even Goldberg, who now is a business owner down there, mm-hmm. when he was living in New York, he came down here for something. We were riding along Main Street, and he was just singing that Pogues song, "Dirty Old Town." Yeah, like, yeah, that's Pogues, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and we all, like, are just so glad to get the fuck out of this dirty old town and go live in New York or Chicago or somewhere. And, yep. like, the really, we have to be, like, the guy, the dishwasher, who's like, this is my house, you know? And, like, I can't be bitching about and griping about my fucking, the, where I eat, my house, my livelihood yeah. all the time. I got to, like, you know, help it out and, and What's wrong with loving where it. you live, you know? I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not cool. It's not cool. (laughs) But it it really has practical benefits. It does. (laughs) And, you know, that whole be the change you want to see, fucking, you know, like that cliche sucks so bad. It does. But at the end of the day, if you, you know, if you want the city to be awesome, you have to support the things that have potential to be great Mm -hmm. instead of assuming that they're going to suck and just not show up. You got to stop bitching about it on Facebook. And waiting for somebody else to fix you, yep. fix this for you, yeah. you know, because the city is the people in the city. Correct. So, like, you got to get together with some people and fucking like you say, do it's a big, shit. it's a big anthill, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. But what populates it and makes it function is all the people. That's the city. Right. That's the personality of the town. And I like the grittiness. I like the fact that it's not like super clean, pristine. That it's not Charlottesville. You yeah. know, I yeah. really like that a lot. But you can be even be positive about that. Yeah. Yeah. And I am. I, I mean, I love like going downtown and and being on some side street and and, and looking at this building that I had never noticed before that like mm-hmm. was once grand and is now kind of like shitty, you know. And yeah. There's story there. There's history there. There's um. Or that know, that like oh look at that building that's been rehabbed. That's the first place I squatted when I was yeah you know, yeah <laughs> you know twenty years oh, old. That used or to be that after hours place. There, there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean it's a great it's a great town and you know it's been really good to me. I mean the the restaurants we've opened two restaurants out of town. Neither one of them succeeded mm-hmm. and the ones here are thriving. Yeah. So I'm you know I'm a cheerleader man. That's pretty much what I do when I travel when I go out of town for work is I just fucking. I just beat the the yeah, Richmond ambassador. drum, you know. You should run for city council, man. God, that's fucking Michelle said that the other day. I'm like, I don't think that's a really good idea. Well, I mean, they're only going to pay you like twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year to do it, you know. But like, I, I mean, I think you could have a huge impact, you know. And that's the kind of shit that, like, really, if all of us, like, former VCU students and smarty pants liberal kids, right. want the fucking city, then we're going to have to get into the leadership and have to get involved in it. And that not protesting shit. But like, (laughs) you know, like let's fucking, okay, fix the thing. Do the thing that you want to make the thing you want. Yeah. 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 So we're at the two hour mark, man. Holy shit. Yeah. That went by fast. Yeah. It's it's fun. Yeah. It it is fun. Thanks for coming. Yeah, man. I'm sorry it took so long to do, but I'm glad we did it. Hey, 
you know, it happened when it was meant to happen. There you go. How zen of you. Yes. Namaste. <laughs> How very zen of me. You know, I, I legitimately believe in uh, many of the principles of Eastern thought, non-attachment, sort of recognizing the isness and suchness of things in life and really trying to accept and embrace and be grateful for those things. And <clears throat> I cultivate a awareness and a practice of keeping my mind open to those things. It's also a really great way to cover the half-assed way I go about life and um, the lack of discipline that I display in many avenues. And uh, the big, and thank God for it, because if it weren't for that sort of aperture for me to sort of approach being creative, I wouldn't do anything at all. Because I don't, I'm such a perfectionist, I don't want to do it until it's perfect. So now I have this excuse that for it not to be perfect, because it's perfectly imperfect. <laughs> That's how I roll. Perfectly imperfect. So you know, there was there had been so much, so many things going on since the last time I posted one of these podcasts, and I, I go through like while I'm driving long distances, and I write in my head these little intros to go over and then I forget it for something more recent that has happened but I've had a really wild fucking life since the last time I posted a podcast and I'm really making the point to just start seizing the day because I'm 46 years old and you know it won't be long before I won't be able to see shit um, but the edge of a recliner or like you know, fucking depends diaper to shove on my ass and um, so I've decided to just start going and doing and not let anything hold me back. And um, to, in that spirit, I am going to travel to Tunisia June 3rd. I am flying through Germany and then flying to Tunisia. And I found a little area called Sidi Bou Said, which is on the edge of the Mediterranean near Carthage. And I'm going to stay there for a week. Um, hopefully I won't get a black sack thrown over my head as soon as I get off the airplane and be able to just enjoy the ancient history and beauty and contemporariness of this part of the world and uh i might i don't know maybe i'll i'll post something from there i think there is wi-fi in the uh, place i'm staying but um you know that's what what you got to do just do it it's not nietzsche it's nike just do it you know what i'm saying seize these carpe these nuts <laughs>